Alright, and welcome to episode 18 of the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Duncan Joyce of the Then Now Whatever podcast. How's it going? Hello, Lee. I'm doing well. Same for you? Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Excited to be having another go here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm really keen to look into this time period as well, since we mentioned it the first time around. Yes, we've got a doozy of a show today, doing January 4, 2010, Impact up against Raw in the first ever TNA vs. WWE Monday Night Wars. Monday Night Massacre. (laughs) That's one way of putting it. Um, It's (laughs) certainly an interesting point in wrestling here. It didn't last long, but this was the, the first of the bunch, so a good place to start, I think. Um, quick lay of the land for where we're at at the moment. In TNA, we've got AJ Styles with the world title. Tara is the Knockouts champion. Amazing Red is the X Division champion. Sarita and Taylor Wilde hold the Knockout tag team titles. And the British Invasion hold the tag team titles. Uh, over in the WWE Raw side of things, Sheamus has got the world title. DX have got the unified tag team titles. The Miz has the US title. And the Divas title is vacant due to the injury to Molina, was it? Melina, yeah, that was who the original champion was, yeah. Great, and a whole host of stars coming back, but we won't spoil any of that at the moment. Are you excited for Impact and Raw? Oh, yes. Um, This is a very, very strange time for wrestling. Yeah, this for anyone that that didn't catch, this was the lost episode for me as well. I was started to do this and realised I didn't have access to Raw before you came to the rescue, so we're good to go now. Yeah, good old daily motion coming through. There's hardly any copyright checks. <laughs> yeah. uh, production value took a dip, but it's well worth it to get the show going. Definitely. All right, so we have flipped the coin and we're heading to Impact first. I'm very excited to watch my first ever episode of Impact as I was with Thunder last time out. Um, so should we head over there now and do it? Let's, let's do it. Great. So over at Impact, for the first ever Impact on Monday night, um, we start off with a video highlighting the history of TNA, featuring such names as Ken Shamrock, Sting, Jeff Jarrett, Kevin Nash, and then Hulk Hogan coming in as well, with a really nice TNA history package. Um, I thought this was a pretty good introduction video. What did you think? I think aside from like the... Uh, rhetorical questions like, who thought anyone would care, you know, who would show up to our show? Yeah, uh, um, probably, that bit probably questions you could be asking again now. I think it's proof uh, that wrestling is definitely cyclical. I suppose so. Yeah, this was quite a nice sort of sizzle reel of TNA moments. Um, they have the phrase here, what was once unimaginable, uh, what was once unimaginable is now inevitable. Yeah, I thought I thought it did a pretty good job of catching me up to speed with, with the company. Um, so I didn't I didn't mind it at all. And we got some nice pyro to kick off after that. We are in Orlando, Florida, um, TNA's home, um, and we've got 
Obviously, the debut of Hulk Hogan is what's hyped in this video package. And the ring, uh, sorry, the announcers are Taz and Mike Tanay. Yes, Tanay says him and Taz are welcoming you. You can't pronounce welcoming you. Yeah, they struggled early on, didn't they? It was a pretty yeah. pumped up night. Um, and they tell us it's going to be three hours, which is, you know, uh, I was a bit iffy about that. I'm not big on three-hour raw, so three-hour impact is certainly going to be a slog. Imagine back to when three hours of wrestling was a special event yeah. rather than the normal. I long for those days. Yeah. Uh, the commentators run down what we're going to see on the show. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're going to see OG. Yes. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. No, jump in. Feel free. Well, but yes, this was the card rundown sponsored by Five Hour Energy. Oh, I missed that completely. <clears throat> As I die here on my end of the microphone. Um, and we had, they're giving us a rundown. We've got ODB is going to take on Tara for the knockouts title. We're going to have a multi-man X Division match. Um, we're going to have Rhino versus Abyss and Beer Money versus the British Invasion. Um, all sound like pretty decent matches. Not a bad way to kick off. What did you think about the card rundown? Sounded pretty promising. Um, the the Abyss Rhino match was in what was called a barbed wire massacre. Oh, what on, what on earth is that? Sounds interesting. Did you think they, had, they did no ex explanation over what this was? But, yeah. yeah, there's probably a reason for that coming up. <laughs> I suppose so. Did you catch after this? We went outside to the crowd lining up for tickets with Bubba the Love Sponge interviewing the fans. Bubba the Love Sponge. Oh my God! Yes. Some of these fans as well. Um, well I, I, I'm guessing you've got a run down of them as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you catch the woman that says she loves the sexy wrestlers, the ones that are big and sweaty? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I caught her. Um, the guy before her, some bro dude who wants to see stuff back when I was growing up. You know, Hogan, Andre, Warrior. He says, I want to see some wrestling. <laughs> you, you, you get very little wrestling from those three names, I can assure you. Maybe on a highlights package. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the best is yet to come. Please tell me you saw the guy who went and got a TNA tattoo. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Fucking Oh, my Mark. God. <laughs> Talk about poor life decisions. <laughs> um, before that guy, um, so, yeah, who else we got? So... There's some other guy who talks about expecting change, only to then say, Hulkamania is coming. Like, Hulkamania is not a very big change. <laughs> it's been around in the business for nigh on 20 years. Come on, mate. We want to change back to what it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's also some really, really highly caffeinated kid who talks really, really fast and, and finishes, he's got his lips, and he finishes off saying, WWE sucks TNA. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he, he's like, He's kind of trying to fit two statements in there, but it sort of comes out as one. So he's supposed to be saying, WWE sucks. And then sort of like bigging up TNA, but it just sounds like he's saying, WWE sucks TNA. Well, that's one way of winning the Monday Night War. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose. Oh, God. Uh, but yeah, that, that was an interesting segment. Probably didn't put them in the best light for, for my money. Um, <laughs> it reminded me a lot of back in the day when Triple H was interviewing WCW fans in line and they were just making fun of the company. It brought sort of that level of cringe and shame. But then we do go to our first match, which I was quite excited for. Um, it's a multi-man X-Division match, and um, a lot of them come out as tag teams to start with, but it is actually an eight-man, um, every-man-for-yourself type match. And it's uh, Chris Sabin and Alex Shelley, the Motive City Machine Guns, are both in there. Um, Homicide and Kiyoshi, um, Jay Lethal and 
Was it Austin Creed? Is that what he was called? Consequences Creed. Consequences Creed. I don't know where I got Austin from. Maybe that's his Twitter. I don't know. But it's basically... um. Oh, shit, I'm drawing a blank. New Day. <laughs> yeah, um, I think Xavier Woods. Xavier Woods, that's it. I don't know. Just yeah. suddenly lost his name, which I was quite hyped for. I knew he was in TNA, but I never knew what era. Like, I hadn't watched TNA between the first year they started and maybe the odd DVD when I knew there was a big match on. Um, and we've also got Suicide and The Amazing Red, who is the champion. Now, this was... Uh- yeah, sorry. This match wasn't for the title, was it? I, I was gonna, That's what I was just about to ask you. Was this for the title? They didn't really explain it very well. Yeah, I can't really tell. This is very, very rushed. And um, just back to lethal and consequences. I've probably given it away there, but they were in a tag team. Do you remember what they were called? No. Lethal consequences. Oh god. <laughs> amazing. Great pump. And we've got, the match itself is inside a, it's called the Steel Asylum. And to me, it just looks like a big English post box. Uh, yes, this big, red, ugly cage, I call it. It kind of looks like, I don't know if you, if you watch The Simpsons, but did you ever see the episode where Homer's got to ride the bike around the inside of the dome? He's at the Was car- that a Simpsons movie? It, it might have been on the movie, yeah. Where he's at the carnival. Yeah, yeah that, that's what it looked like to me, one of them. <laughs> Oh, it, it looked atrocious. There were points trying to watch the match through this cave. You, you couldn't see anything at all. Yeah, it's that's terrible. in my notes. It's just so hard to see. Like it's it's really poorly produced. Um, the match itself, though, I, I guess it's it's full of exciting guys. So I, I was pretty excited to get into it. Um, also, before we we start the match, Mike Tanay on commentary tells us that Mick Foley's been denied entry earlier today. He's he's been has he been fired by TNA? He's well. He's supposedly some sort of like minority stakeholder in the company itself, and they're kind of ousting him. Um, but we'll, we'll get to it a bit later on because there's a bit more of his skits that sort of reveals it. But uh, yeah, yeah, he's would... not been fired, but he's sort of not welcome, so to speak. It, it wasn't very well explained at this point, or for a few segments really afterwards. Um, the match itself starts off, and they all just basically pair off, don't they? It's just you know one-on-ones, four sets of one-on-ones through the match, and they just brawl a bit. Um, and I've put here that the cage doesn't look that strong, and it's not easy to see through. So there's there's lots of trading off and climbing the cage. I don't know if you noticed, but it's probably not until about halfway through the match in my notes that I figured out they were supposed to climb through the top of the cage. Yes, yeah, you win by escape through the top, and it's sort of kind of got a roof, but there's this very small round gap at the top. See, that so wasn't explained kind of at all. No, I'm not surprised, really. Um, yeah, so you have to climb up, and then you have to climb across, which causes problems. Yeah, because I, I wrote down earlier that I didn't know if it was elimination or how you win. Um, and basically, then we have a, a, a segment of the match where six men all sell while two guys trade spots up hanging on top of the cage. And it's just, it's, it's awkward and clumsy. Yeah, there was one point where Alex Shelley got really, really high climbing the structure and nobody on the, on the ground could give a toss. Didn't notice him whatsoever. No, he just hangs there. Yeah. We did get a cool spot when Suicide pushed Amazing Red off the top, who flipped it into a Hurricane Rana on, on Saban. I thought that was quite cool looking. And then we had Homicide lay everyone out with a baton and a bell starts ringing. And I, I didn't understand this at all. He basically... This was the ending of the match. He, he took he took a, a baton and laid everyone out, and we're told it's a no contest. Yes. Um, so this bat just appears from nowhere. 
he hits, uh, where is this on my note? So he hits someone with it. I think saving someone and it's fine. No, he hits Red with it and nothing happens. But then when he hits Kiyoshi, all of a sudden it's a DQ. Uh, yeah, and I just, I'll, at this point I'm scratching my head. We've, we've got the first ever impact of the Monday Night Wars, and I can't really understate that. This was their statement of intent, going up against the, the big dog, and they say that later. And we've got a multi-man X-Division match in a cage that ends in a disqualification. They couldn't be any more WCW if they tried. X yeah, the X-Division back then was supposed to be one of their big selling points that makes them stand out as a company, and... They really didn't get a lot of time in here. They got some nice spots in, um, particularly from Suicide and Sabin. Um, amazing, uh, Suicide hit toss Amazing Red into Hurricane Running uh, Sabin at one point. That looked really cool. Yeah. But yeah, after that finish, it's just all futile and it just feels ugh. And the crowd shit all over it. They were not happy. And then the worst part is yeah, suicide. Was it? Sorry, it was, no, it wasn't. Yeah, it was suicide, wasn't it? That, that laid no homicide. Sorry, homicide. You yeah. can't have a homicide and a suicide in the same match without confusing me. But homicide lays them all out, and then he decides he is going to climb out the cage, but he's so slow. And we're just watching oh, a big just guy. Can't do it. Can yeah, it? it shouldn't have been booked at all. And um. No. Yeah, we've got that it's ended, and all of a sudden we see Jeff Hardy appear from the crowd. Yeah, I have... There's some music that starts playing, and I have here, oh, someone's doing a shit Gary Newman karaoke. <laughs> oh, no, wait, it's Jeff Hardy. <laughs> and him and Homicide have a bit of a brawl in the aisle. He lays him out with a chair, and like they, it was sort of weird the way they sold it. That chair shot was horrendous. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I wrote a, a four-letter word beginning with C when I saw that. But I'm not very fond of using, but yeah, <laughs> good on my. Another thing with with the commentary, I know it sounds like we're ragging all over them on the first match, but first they didn't tell us really if it was for the title, didn't tell us how to win, didn't tell us that it could end in a DQ, and I don't really feel they explained that this was Jeff Hardy debuting very well either. They sold it that he was there, but they didn't really tell us that it, it was him debuting and what he was doing. Yeah, this is Jeff Hardy, who's coming off, just having le left the WWE as probably the biggest star on SmackDown. And I'm pretty sure at some point, their top merchandise mover. Yep. Certainly next to C Cena. And he just, showing up here, just, you know beating the crap out of some X-Division guys. It's like, oh yeah, Jeff's here. No. Yeah, it wasn't a great debut, and to make matters worse, he climbs up to the top of the cage, has a seat, and his music comes on, and correct me if I'm wrong, but does Jeff sing his own theme song? It is Jeff himself, That's yeah. fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> state of that theme song. Jeff um, was in a bit of a state all round, I thought. His yeah. haircut was terrible, and I thought he looked a tiny bit bloated as well. Yeah, it didn't look good. And then we go backstage, or he walks back in through Gorilla, actually, and Shannon Moore welcomes him to the company. Um, so that, that was sort of a strange way to debut. Throw yourself amongst the X Division and align yourself with Shannon Moore. It didn't scream star. We then go to a shot on the road of a limo coming towards the arena with the cops, um, and we're told it's Hulk Hogan on his way to the arena. Yeah, a freaking motorcade for Hulk Hogan arriving. Yep, yeah, um, I'm not sure if that was stock footage or real, but it was pretty impressive looking. Mm. Uh, and we go back to Christy Hemi interviewing Kevin Nash, 
who does a very low-key promo talking about being excited about Hulk Hogan coming, calling Hulk his mentor, and says he's on his way and he's not alone. Right, this interview here. You know how you have the Hammerlock scale for terrible matches? Yes. I think we need a Kevin Nash scale for bullshit promos. (laughs) He talks so much nonsense here. He talks about Hulk Hogan like, oh, well, you know, Whatever company he's worked in has been the number one company in the world. He tries so hard to be low-key and non-plus, doesn't he? Yeah, he's like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm getting more money from this, you know. Like, woohoo, I'm going to be working for the number one wrestling organization in the world again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, this is a statement that got me. He says, I'm going to be making more money than I've probably ever made in my life. And that's why TNA can't afford their pay-per-views anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just complete and utter bollocks. It, it, it kind of almost does the opposite of what he's trying to do, where he's trying to sell the prestige, but by just going on about his paycheck, he kind of does the opposite of being excited to be there. Yeah, just a total, complete and utter fold it in. I'll just say whatever nonsense and it'll stick because it's fine promo. Yeah. Um, and speaking of prestige, we seem to have a bit of a, a theme for, for the night here where they're putting on as many big matches and titles as they can for the evening. Um, and up next, we go to the Knockouts title, which is going to be ODB challenging Tara, uh, formerly Victoria from WWE. Mm. I was quite excited um, for this. Yeah, yeah. Um Tara had somewhat of a rejuvenation in this division, really. Uh, did you notice at the start when they were announcing the match, they said it was with a 20-minute time limit? <laughs> uh, unlikely. It's not going 20 minutes, mate. I don't think so. Um, and did you see in the introductions, Tara comes out with a pet tarantula? Yes, poison. Yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. I didn't mind that. Um, and ODB just nails it before the bell. Um, get, get sort of... Takes her down, and then um, I've got here. What is she? I've, I completely lost my notes here. That she rubs her. <laughs> she, yeah. So ODB is wearing a do rag or something. She takes it off and chokes Tara with it, and then she wipes it on her own crotch. Yeah, I thought I'd written rub Fanny, and then as soon as I read my notes, I thought oh, I better not say that. That can't be right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is, uh, sorry, just for full discretion, I know I'm, I'm shocking with my notes here. This is the first hour of this show I watched about three weeks ago thinking I was going to record this and never did, so I didn't re-watch it, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Tara then comes in with a clothesline, gets back on the offense, some kicks and strikes, and hits a nice enziguri, um, and then a slam followed by a standing moonsault, which was pretty cool. Um, she certainly was on it here. And then she puts on the tarantula around the ropes, which was another cool spot. I was, I was enjoying this at this point. Um, comes off the apron with the flipping uh, leg leg drop for the two count, which was cool as well. Um, but then we get ODB coming back with a roll-up, um, and we sort of saw she pulled her pants down a little bit, but they pixelated it, and we get the three count, just like that. Yeah, full moon in the impact zone. <laughs> yeah. Um, new, new champion, and I thought, like, despite having a pretty strong start, um, the fact that there was no real story to the match it there's some good moves to begin with but it pretty much just then ended it was just no better than typical divas fair in wwe by the end of it i thought what did you think yeah it's just tara looks good odb nicks the win basically without doing anything yeah and just not uh, yeah it, it, it wasn't what i thought it was going to be i thought we we're going to get this you know almost like divas revolution stuff they go on about now i thought we we're going to see some of that here um but it, it wasn't the case at all 
this is a well this was a common problem with TNA television even before Hogan came in where the television matches were very rushed compared to the pay-per-view ones um did you spot at one point there was a little uh pop-up in the corner asking you to follow TNA president Dixie Carter on Twitter I did see that (laughs) (laughs) I bet she wishes nobody followed her some days (laughs) well um, and then after the match, Tara just comes back, nails it with the widow's peak, and puts the spider on her. Um, the actual literal spider, not a move. Um, so kind of a, a Jake the Snake esque finish there, where she gets a heat back and puts, you know, not the snake but the spider on her. Um, and I put here on my notes, which is going to be a theme for the night for me, that it felt as though they were trying to be prestigious but just failing miserably. Mm, yeah, I'll get a sense of that. Yeah. Um, we then get a limo pull up, but it's not Hulk Hogan's limo, and we get Ric Flair stepping out, which they sell with utter shock, which was pretty cool, um, and the crowd pops big for this. They were really happy to see Flair show up. Um, for if you, remembering from, from the actual time frame in wrestling, I think Vince McMahon wasn't so happy to see him show up, because I think they got pretty upset when he went and wrestled in TNA, didn't they, after his whole retirement gig in the WWE? I could imagine, yeah. Um... I mean, Sean, I think, basically gave him his blessing to work that Australia tour with Hulk Hogan. But I don't think they expected anything else would come from that. Yeah. And um, unfortunately for them, and probably for Flair, because I think he lost a bit of his legacy wrestling in TNA, if I'm being honest. Um, But anyway, it is what it is. We then get Mick Foley outside being denied entry. Um, So... That's a running theme for the night that we will follow up on later, but as we mentioned earlier, they're not letting him in, and we will find out why before the show ends. Um, From there, we have Lashley coming out with his wife, Crystal. Um, We get a pretty big Bobby chant as they come out. Um, As Crystal tries to speak, the crowd kind of does that whole, we're not ready to stop applauding you thing and really take over, don't they? Yeah, it's really strange. Um, Bobby Lashley's Titantron is just a... A, a CGI picture of an engine. <laughs> I, didn't I really don't that. understand that at all. <laughs> I did not see that at all. Um, and I'm, I must have still been in pretty good spirits at this point because my next note says that um, Crystal takes a microphone, talks Lashley up to Hulk Hogan massively, and then turns on the marks. What a champion. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so she calls them. Um, yeah, she gives out about inbred toothless degenerates. <laughs> yeah. And claims that Lashley is asking for his release. She does, yes. Um, I thought that was actually a pretty good promo. A decent promo, but it really... Something about this just doesn't sit well with me. You're talking about the importance of Hogan coming in and stuff, and then you have this guy come in and he's like, oh, we've got better things to do with our time. Yeah, and also, on that note, did you notice they, they talk about he's doing it to pursue his mixed martial arts career? I don't think they find the balance very well with saying that he wants to do MMA without saying that wrestling isn't fake. I think they sort of... Mm. It's hard to explain, but they sort of word it in a way that he wants to go and do real fighting. Yeah, they, yeah they mentioned he's undefeated at this point, and for trying to big him up as this big two-sports athlete, um, he get it a lot better in his like second, well, current TNA run when he do work with Bellator and stuff. Yeah, I've heard good things. I've not seen it yet, but I have heard good things. Um, we then go backstage, and we've got the beautiful people playing poker um, in a little backstage vignette where basically they don't know how to play poker, so they have to keep on taking off items of clothing. And they say that, you know, 
when they lose, everybody wins. That's sort of the tagline, isn't it? That was a pretty decent line, but um, yeah, um, they're apparently playing without a net, and Lacey Von Eric thinks it's a person. So like, who's a net? Is she hot? <laughs> <laughs> and did you catch that the next advert that we saw on the show was for the TNA Video Vault? Video Vault, yes. Um, Forty nine ninety nine a year, unlimited pay per view access. Yeah, so we talked on the, on the last episode about how um, we might see the WWE acquire some TNA footage for their network. So I actually probably wouldn't have minded just to have the odd month of TNA just to watch some shows if it was um, going to be around much longer, that is. Mm, yeah. um, and then we go back outside and we see Scott Hall and X-Pac. I think they're calling him X-Pac on here, weren't they? Uh, so um, I think commentary mostly called him Sean Walton. But then Hall and everyone seems to call him Six Pack. Yeah, uh, which I think is what he was in the early days of TNA. Um, and anyway, yeah. they're, they're denied entry as well, so that's interesting. Um, but when we come back from the commercial break, they have managed to get in and they're going to be sitting in the crowd. So they've obviously gotten tickets from somewhere in the last two minutes. Yeah, well, they choke, They were choking out security just before the break as well. Ah, so, I missed uh, that on mine. So. Snuck their way in. Fair enough. Um, and then, um, sorry, go on. Yeah, uh, just before Waltman and Hall came in, they had a big announcement, breaking news. TNA is the number one trend worldwide on Twitter. Oh, I missed that as well. I'm having a shocker here. <laughs> <laughs> Marking up. Like, I thought it was going to be like some other wrestlers coming in because they were making such a big deal of it, but no, it's just better trending on Twitter. Yeah. Well done. Um, and then we get the actual big debut, the big moment, Hulk Hogan coming out. He comes out yes. some nice pyro, and then what was like an NWO knockoff theme? I have it, yeah. Rip-off NWO theme. Ah, good. We're on the same page. And it, it does come out to a monster pop, and there's a lot of Hogan shirts in the crowd. Oh, yes. There's so much yellow in this crowd. It's unbelievable. We see our first big sign of the night when Hogan takes one or points to one in the aisleway that says Hogan owns Vince. A big assuring nod, and I put, I wonder if he'd be so keen to point that out nowadays. Well, if it was a Hogan owns Gawker sign, it might, <laughs> yeah. you know, make sense. We see that um, Brooke Hogan's in the crowd as well. Mm. Did you see there was another, it wasn't really a sign in the crowd, but it looked like someone had a copy of Piledriver the album on vinyl. Yes, I did see that. That was amazing. Is <laughs> <laughs> that Hogan in his little hard hat? <laughs> Do you, oh, that Piledriver, the actual Piledriver uh, video is one of my favourite YouTube wrestling videos of all time. Oh my god, I, I don't watch it often enough, I have to go back to it. Oh, Some of the reactions, and that was amazing. Vince's face when, when the, the woman walks past in, in the tight outfit is amazing. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking of, yeah. And Bam Bam Bigelow with a jackhammer. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely worth another watch. In fact, pause this show, go and watch it, come back. <laughs> <laughs> and then from there, Hogan comes in, and I'll tell you what Hogan does probably better than anyone in the business is he milks a crowd reaction. Uh-huh, he says, what's up, TNA maniacs? <laughs> yeah. Okay. They are going nuts for him, though. He's very much 
doing the tell you what you want to hear thing at this moment. Yeah, he talks about making history, how TNA is going to be the number one wrestling company in the world. Um, and then before he really gets too deep into it, though, Sean Waltman and Scott Hall jump the rail and he tells security let them in the ring. So um, they get in and they do the, the two sweet hand gesture all round. And then Hall, another one who knows how to milk a crowd at the right moment, just leaves it just long enough before hitting the, hey, yo. Hey, yo. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they basically talk about the same thing with Nash, that they know there's going to be a ton of money and they want in. Yeah, um, Hall says he wants in on big sold-out arenas. Yeah, we'll let you know when we get there. <laughs> Wrong company, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, from there, we, we tell Hulk tells them that he's going to be doing it different this time, that it's time we all grow up and that they do the right thing. Um, he says what, what, they do the right thing for the boys. For the business. For the business, that's the one. And then that brings out Kevin Nash. Um, he comes out and he asks Hulk when he turns so corporate, and that in turn brings out Eric Bischoff. So it's a, it's a proper reunion here. Yeah, um, Nash alludes to talking to Hogan on the phone beforehand, and he was claiming that he had a lot of different stuff to say than what he was saying here. Yeah. When, Interesting. When, when Bischoff came out, I kind of half had expected him to come out and immediately fire Sean Waltman. <laughs> 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 but no, um, the crowd are going nuts here as well. It, the promos, I felt, were a little bit dull, a little bit long, without... You know, I know, I get the point they're trying to make. They're coming in to take the money, and Hogan's trying to say, no, we're going to turn the company around. But they went the long way about it, I felt. Yeah, yeah, a bit, bit too much going on here. Um, did you get Tanay sort of accidentally plugged Bischoff's WWE book? Yes, he did. <laughs> he talks about how, well, you know what he says, controversy creates cash. He yeah. named a book after it. Yeah, Vince McMahon sat at home going, cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eric... Um, he had this line about how they spanked the gorilla together. Yeah, <laughs> another weird what one. What the hell is he on? <laughs> and I, I think in this metaphor, the gorilla is supposed to be the WWF, but it just sounded pretty nasty. Yeah, it came off a little more sexual than he intended. <laughs> and Waltman and Hall, I don't know if you noticed, but to me, they looked proper fucked. They were really out of it. Yeah, Hall is very sort of um, full in the face at this point. They're swaying. They couldn't stand still. Mm. I, they, they actually looked drunk then and there. I don't know if they were, and I'm not certainly not accusing anyone of anything, but they looked pretty far. Um, well, after watching this, um, I found the, the episode of Impact after this one was also on their YouTube site. Yeah. And Hall and Waltman were giving an interview with Nash and Christie, and Hall just... Yeah, he was having trouble speaking, I thought. It was pretty bad. Well, keeping in mind the length of this Monday Night War, that might be something we come back and revisit. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, they, they looked out of it. Eric basically reiterates what Hogan's saying here, saying that everyone's got to earn their spot. Um, and they leave, and Hulk and... Sorry, is it Hall and Nash and everyone leaves? They tell us that things are going to change as Dixie Carter cheers in the crowd. Um, and then Eric asks for... An, it takes a while to get a format sheet for the show. Um, he's He must ask for it seven or eight times. I, I don't know if this was maybe unscripted or if it was meant to come across as unscripted, but it was a little bit awkward. Yeah, you can't get any more inside of it. They find a format sheet slash script and they tear it up. 
Like, but, we're not following the script anymore! Woo! Did you see, though, that when he tosses it up, half of it lands in the front row and people in the crowd are grabbing it to have a read? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was pretty funny. Um, and Hogan, of course, ends on the money line. Um, this is a warning to everyone in TNA. Anyone that can't wrestle and can't talk on the microphone can head up north. Where you'll probably make a lot more money. Yeah, <laughs> where we will teach you to do those things rather than replace you with your granddad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we get a class, speaking of, of replacing the young guys with the old guys, we take a shot of Sting watching in the rafters ominously. So Yeah. Uh, they didn't get this right the first time. I don't know why they want to revisit it personally. No, well, I mean, you talk about how ominous that is. I thought the, the promo itself was pretty ominous, really. All this talk about, like, Hogan was talking about the young guys early on. Like, yeah, how many of those are going to get shafted by Hulkamania to alumnuses? Well, basically, he says it's time for a change. And we have Eric Bischoff and the NWO in the ring having a debate with Sting watching in the rafters. Mm, like, yeah. yeah. It just does yeah, it is what it is. Um, from there, though, we do go back to some action with some of the current TNA stars. We've got a, a Knockouts Tag Team title match. I didn't know there was such a, a title before watching this show, so another cool thing for me to find out. And it's Awesome Kong and Hamada taking on Sarita and Taylor Wilde, who are the current Knockout Division Tag Team champs. Um, did you catch on the last show you, you caught one? I think it was with a women's match as well that I missed a little botch. And there was another one here where Sarita and Taylor Wilde, I didn't know which one it was because I hadn't seen them before, but went to jump in the ring over the ropes and caught her ankle on the rope. Oh, no, really? <laughs> yeah, she nearly went a over, so it was pretty funny. Oh, oh no, I missed that. And um, while the entrances are going on, Tanae tells us that Kurt Angle will take on AJ Styles at Genesis. So that, you know, sounded like a good match, something I've not seen before. Um, we get a good chain wrestling start off with Sarita and Hamada um, before Taylor comes off the top rope into an arm drag, which was pretty cool. And um, we go backstage and we see um, Motor City Machine Guns, I think it was at this point, that have been laid out. Sorry, there's several of these through the night, but um, they just lay on the floor face down like they've been attacked. No one knows why. Um, we come back to the match pretty quickly and Kong's in and she hits a nice looking scent on Splash for a two count. And um, the Sarita and Wild hit a drop kick each on it, which she doesn't go down from. They then hit a double drop kick, and she does go down. Um, and then the two, they, they go up top. One of them comes running over the ropes with a dive, and one comes off the top rope. The stereo dives to the outside, which was pretty cool. Um, oh, it looked fantastic, yeah. Yeah, that was the spot of the night for me so far. Um, we come back from a commercial break, and Kong's back in control. Hamada then gets in, hits a suplex for a two count. Kong comes back in, but Sarita's in with a springboard. Uh, I've got springboard botch. <laughs> she then went for a springboard crossbody, but she was caught, um, and it turned into sort of an awkward arm drag, like she was caught but wasn't meant to be caught or it was meant to be a smooth transition. It just didn't work, did it? Um, we then get stereo runners by Tarita and, uh, and Wild, and Kong catches one in a sit-out splash for a two-count, but it is broken up. Uh, Kong then hits a, a powerbomb with Hamada also nailing a drop kick, but it was really, again, awkward. Like The idea was Kong was going to lift her up for a powerbomb and Hamada was going to come over the top off the ropes with a drop kick, but Hamada had to tell, I don't know if it was it was Wild or Sarita, but she basically was telling the person taking the move where to position to hit, get hit by her move, so it was pretty... I noticed this as well, yeah. I thought it looked like she was sibling with her hands for Kong to move. 
forward a bit. Yeah. But obviously Kong couldn't see because you know, she's got a lady in front of her and she's facing the wrong way around. So she's basically... That's quite funny. Yeah, she's telling the opponent who's then having to relay the message down to Kong. So as you can imagine, that took a while to, to sort out. Um, it was very amateur, but that did finish off for the three count, giving us new champions. And it was just, again, this was a chance for the girls to show what they could do and it came off really indie. Uh, well, I really like this match. Okay. Yeah, I thought this was a lot closer to the kind of sort of breath of fresh air they were going for, you know. Um, but at this point in time, their women's division was really, really a very strong high point of the company, especially in the couple of years prior to that when Gail Kim was starting things off. Um, just... I wish Taz would stop saying physical on commentary. Ah, I didn't catch it. Oh, he says that he talks on and on about how this has been a physical match. Oh, what a physical drop kick. Oh, this is a physical, <laughs> physical match. I think my, my issue with it is that we've got, you know, you've clearly got girls that can do bigger moves, but the storytelling hasn't come with it. And I really hate the awkwardness that you notice, like... I noticed it in early days of WCW, the early 90s, when I watched that stuff, in that the finishes just don't look crisp. In the WWE, when a finish comes, it's a crisp sequence of events that ends a match on a high. When it's not working so well, it's awkward and, and sloppy, and I, I hate the finishing of a match not going well. Just a, a personal pet hate. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I was all right with the work beforehand as well. There's lots of good stuff from Hamada, especially. Just some cool arm ringer escapes and stuff like that. Well, after SmackDown beat Thunder 10-0 with the voting last time, it's probably good if we don't agree on everything, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. The crowd were into it as well. Yeah, they definitely... The, I can't fault the crowd so far. We're probably, what, about 40 minutes or so into the show, and the crowd's been pretty decent. I can't complain at all. Um, backstage, we've got Val Venus walks in on the beautiful people, um, but did you catch he stops them from using his name? Oh yeah, um, yeah. I forgot how this goes on. They went. They basically went. Oh, you're. And he goes. No, 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 no. Don't say that name or something. Yeah, that's it. So Velvet calls him Mr. Towelman instead. Yeah, which is much better. That, that's a gimmick that'll catch on. Um, the long and the short of this is he sits down to play strip poker with them and tells them he's only got a towel. So as soon as they get one move, he's he's nude. Did you catch how? Um... I forget which beautiful person it was, but they're not playing seven-card stud, they're playing seven-card babe. Yeah, and doing a pretty poor job off it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we then go back to Mick Foley trying to get in, in the impact zone again, um, and the nasty boys come up and they're also trying to get in. Knobs looks rough. <sighs> yeah, I, I, they both not really wrestling shape at this point. Sags look half the size of Nobs though. Nobs looks like he ate Sags. <laughs> <laughs> he he looks he actually looks like Bebop. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you could do them side by side, I think you'd be alarmed at, at, the, at the similarity there. Um, but essentially, I just I'm here thinking, you know, still it's it's this nagging theme that we've now got Mick Foley and the Nasty Boys, and things just aren't changing at all, or they're going back to the way they were. Yeah, again, it's back to all this talk Hogan had of you know lacing up and earning your spot. What are the Nasty Boys doing to earn not a thing away in this company? You know. And then for some more similarity, we go back and we've got 
Um, Dr. Stevie and Raven with Daphne taking on the blueprint, Matt Morgan and Hernandez. Um, what's, what's with the Dr. Stevie? It's just Stevie Richards in a doctor's outfit. He looks like an extra from Scrubs. Um, this was to do with, uh, they brought him in as a character to try and help out Abyss. Yeah. Abyss went to some kind of like insane asylum and Stevie was the one that kind of brought him back into TNA. Okay. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's linked to that. So they were they were feuding with Abyss and Mick Foley beforehand. Interesting. I, I always liked Stevie. I tell you what, he did look big here, though. He, he, I don't know why. He, looked, he seemed to be a lot taller, and I, I, he obviously didn't get taller from his WWE run, but, you know, the outfit or maybe the company's keeping made him look a lot bigger. And um, they're taking on the blueprint, Matt Morgan and Hernandez, so this has got potential to be a good match, and we're told the winners will get a title shot at the pay-per-view. Um, Hernandez comes in early and nails Raven with a shoulder block. Um, they both tag out pretty quick, though. And um, Stevie comes in on Matt Morgan, but gets hit with a pump kick for a three count straight away, like, o- over and out. Blinky, you'll miss it, yeah. Yeah, so they, they job them out pretty good. Um, Matt Morgan was a big guy, though. I mean, I remember when he was first in on SmackDown, and um, he looked pretty impressive then, but they made him stutter, and that was the end of it. <laughs> Um, we've then got Christy Hemi backstage with Pope D'Angelo, um, and we're told that Hulk Hogan has booked him with Desmond, uh, Wolf for the night. He's, um, not surprised, and he calls him a wanker. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, um, he, Desmond Wolf, but Hulk keeps referring to him as Desmond the Ruffy. <laughs> yeah. I I, uh, my notes, I've got two different names written out before it becomes Desmond Wolf. I couldn't figure out who it was meant to be fighting. <laughs> Desmond Wolf, we should point out here, Desmond Wolf is better known as Nigel McGuinness. Yes. Current matchmaker in Ring of Honor, former Ring of Honor champion. Yes, I found that out in, in my notes looking up for this to try and find out what his name was. Um, and then we've got Orlando Jordans here and we're told that Hulk Hogan invited him. So that's an interesting turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tries to sort of buddy up to Pope D'Angelo, who's not really too keen. So that we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, he just tells him to get stepping and calls him a Whoopi Goldberg lookalike. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> oh, and he threatens him as well. He says he'll make him remember what a Danny Glover bitch slap feels like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Going back to the lethal weapon reference, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I guilty here i've not seen lethal weapons oh, it's been many years but i'm pretty certain that's what it comes out of um go on. i liked pope here yeah i thought he was pretty good um I, I i didn't know anything about him before this but he came off well in this promo he, he certainly looked like a star he called himself a delicious chocolate cup of saving grace as well which <laughs> quite the line yeah not too bad um we then we go to Desmond Wolf up against Pope D'Angelo, and I've got that Desmond Wolf in his entrance. He looks like the love child of Cesaro and Randy Orton. I've, I put here he looks like a darts player with his sunnies and that jacket that he's wearing. <laughs> 180. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we've got during Pope De Niro, uh, sorry D'Angelo De Niro. Is it De Niro D'Angelo D'Angelo De Niro? Yeah. D'Angelo De Niro. D'Angelo De Niro. In his entrance, money rains out a la Donald Trump in the WWE. That was pretty cool. Mm. Just back to woeful trons. Popes is appalling. Oh, I miss this as well. What was it? Oh, right. It's just... So, so it's his name that flashes up every now and again. Yeah. And then every now and again, some random bit of cleavage will come up. 
Okay. <laughs> and then there's also some really weird-looking cartoon thing that I thought kind of looked like a cartoon drug needle or something. <laughs> it's just horrific. I don't understand what's what we're doing. Uh, production values through the roof here. Yeah. Um, early on in the match, Wolf gets on the arm. Um, Pope fires back with some good kicks and a nice flipping clothesline. Um, and Wolf gets him in sort of a, a weird arm drop, which was pretty cool as well. Sort of like a, a hammerlock up into a takedown or a throw. Um, yeah, it's like a hammerlock DDT style thing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, he blocks the sunset flip and goes back on the arm and then puts on a bit of a weird arm submission, which he then changes... Um, Misses a charge, and the Pope hits a nice elevated elbow off the corner. It's sort of a nice-looking spot there. Um, we get a series of reversals, and then Pope catches a small package out the blue for the three count, so there wasn't much to this match either. No, but, I mean, I thought it was decent for what it was, really. Um, I would have just liked to have seen it out of another five minutes. Yeah, these are two big sort of future like, people you'd want to see more of in the future, really. Um Desmond Wolf had just come off his rivalry with Kurt Angle, but all right, he didn't win, but he he came off really well coming out of that. Yeah. And Pope's obviously someone with the kind of charisma that they're very very keen on. Yeah, definitely. He he looked like a star all the way through this to me. Yeah. Um, we go backstage to see Jeff Jarrett walking through the backstage area, so he's here tonight now. And then we've got Bubba the Love Sponge showing us that Rhino's now been laid out as well. So that, that was interesting. Um, oh, yeah, sorry. Initially, it was Jeremy Borash. Yeah. And then Bubba turns up halfway through. He's like, no, okay, I, I've got this JB. Go on. Yeah, it just takes over, a la Hoovy. <laughs> and Taz and Tanae give us some recaps of the night so far. Um, I didn't mind that sort of a midway through. It beats the what just happened before the break crap that Raw pulls all the time now. So that was okay. Um, and we've got Jeff Jarrett. Uh, sorry, been there. Um, Jerry, Jeremy Borash is now with AJ Styles. And he wants to prove to the world um, that he's, he's the best before Eric Bischoff comes in. Um, he calls off AJ and Kurt at Genesis and says it's now on tonight. Um, so the first move by Eric Bischoff in the new company is to blow a pay-per-view main event and put it on free TV. Mm, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> uh, Bischoff here came across quite heelish talking to AJ Styles. He did, yeah. He really talked down to him. Yeah. So interesting. Um, but, you know, I can't say watching the show I was excited because it meant I got to see that match tonight now. So, you know, I wasn't complaining, but it, it was certainly an interesting move. Um, history repeating itself all through this show. Uh, JJ, uh, JJ, I was about to say JJ Styles, Jeff Jarrett comes out to that classic Jeff Jarrett TNA theme song. Um, have you, do, you know, do you know the lyrics to this song? No, no. I, I remember Go ahead. When, when I first um, watched TNA when they were first out, I downloaded this song. I was a bit of a mark for wrestling themes in the early 2000s. And I'm pretty certain, please people correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty certain one of the lines is, he ain't dead, he ain't the rock. Don't want to hear your big mouth talk.
<laughs> what? Okay, so just name drop two stars from the other company. It's just weird. I, I do love that theme song, though. It's pretty cool. <laughs> um, so he comes out and gets a big welcome back chant from the crowd. They're pretty keen to see Jarrett. Um, he cuts a really a good face promo about how the company's made it this far. Um, he says that he's given young guys a shot, and he name drops the Motor City Machine Guns, Samoa Joe, Beer Money, who he calls the best tag team in the world, um, and AJ Styles. And we see Dixie in the crowd again looking completely uninterested. She doesn't look happy here at all. Um, and then Hulk Hogan comes on the Titan Tron and cuts him to shreds. Um, talking about how Jarrett started the company, but he also ran it into the ground. And that Hulk is now Dixie's new partner. And the young guys are going to get the real push. Um I don't even know where to begin with this, so he's already semi-turned heel, and he's talking about how he's going to push young guys, which he's never done in his life. What did you think about that? Yeah, very, very strange. And he, I think the line was, all the young guys, they're going to get real shot now, brother. Like, yeah. real shot? What, like, out back? <laughs> like, yeah. you know? So, on his first night, we've already seen, so far, the Nasty Boys, Scott Hall, Sean Waltman, Val Venus, and Orlando Jordan come in, but now the young guys are going to get their shot. Yeah, uh, you really shouldn't talk about like how you're saying, oh, Jarrett ran the company into the ground. No, that's the kind of thing you shouldn't say because you're insulting your existing fan base. Yeah, and not only that, but if he's running into the ground, how can they afford him? Mm, yeah. All that money they're talking about, so it, it, it's really conflicting. Um we then go to Christy Hemi backstage with Christopher Daniels, um, and Jeremy Borash comes in on the phone. Uh, he's talking to Mick Foley, and then Mick Foley is in the arena. Uh, he's blagged his way in. <laughs> oh. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, nothing much comes of it yet, but it will do. Um, Shannon Moore then is walking with, well, he's backstage with Jeff Hardy, who's finishing off a painting, um, and he's telling Jeff that he should sell his art and that the big man wants to meet him. So just a, a weird little skit there. Um, before we go to Abyss vs Samoa Joe, and this really got me pumped up when I saw this one starting off. Um, I've got here that we've this apparently wasn't on the original format, and this is something that Eric Bischoff has added to the show, um, but very excited for it. Joe attacks right from the bell um, and hits a nice Pele kick. Joe, he looks a little bit fitter here than what he does now. Um, not terribly. He's always been big, but he did look like he was carrying it quite well. Um, he hits a nice big boot, and then he goes out the outside, and he misses with a chair shot, and Abyss gets a hold of him and throws him into the ring steps. Um, back inside, Joe hits an inverted, inverted atomic drop and a nice boot, followed by his really cool senton splash for a two count. Um, they show a sting backstage at this point as well. Um, Abyss comes back with a clothesline, an avalanche, and a sidewalk slam for a two count. But Joe then comes off the ropes with a really awesome-looking missile kick for a two count. Hits another Pele kick, but he's caught off the top into a huge choke slam by Abyss, which gets him a two count. Um, Abyss then shoves the ref. Joe hits a chair shot with, with a loud bang while the referee's not seeing. Tosses a chair, which again makes a huge noise, and then locks in the Kakita clutch for the tap-out victory. The referee apparently oblivious to the fact that he'd used the chair. And Taz's first comment after this match ends is... Wow, that was a physical, physical match. <laughs> oh, great, oh! <laughs> He's going nuts with the physical. Um, I, I wasn't probably overly keen on Big Abyss tapping out, but this was a good, nice little hard-hitting match, wasn't it? 
I did wonder, yeah, I did wonder about the tap out thing. I think they were kind of like at this point, Abyss has been through his therapy, so they were going down the more sort of lovable monster like Mankind Rouge. But this was a bit of alright for me. Um, there was a there was a bit where they were on the outside and Joe was kind of like brawling about with Abyss, and the, uh, they were moving like from section to section, and there were some fans that were chanting "Over here, over here" to yeah. try and get them to their section. I did hear that. That was good. Um, yeah, I just, uh, this is another one I thought I would have just liked five more minutes. Well, yeah, I mean, they talk, I mean, again, this is a thing you were talking about earlier about the big time stuff not quite living up to reality. They hyped this as a really big first time matchup. They'd yeah. not faced each other in TNA before and, yeah, didn't just quite get the time, really. Yeah, I think they'd have been better off just halving the number of matches and giving them time and making this a, something special, this show. Um, we then go backstage, Eric Bischoff is with the crew, changing the format some more, um, and Crystal comes in and demands a meeting for Lashley with Hulk Hogan. Bischoff heals her out a little bit, but she heals back. No one really came across as the face in this segment for me. Bischoff asked her, do you want a bit? Yeah, <laughs> completely random. But, uh, <laughs> no, that was at all. Yeah, that was odd. Um, and then we've got Bubba, the love sponge, with beer money laid out now, which is a shame. I was hoping to see them on this. Uh, two good guys that can really go. Yeah. Um, we then have the nasty boys have snuck in with the assist going to Bubba, the love sponge, sort of distracting, sweet-talking the, the, the security guards. Um, and Jeremy Borash is backstage with Kurt Angle, who looks pretty thin at this point, doesn't he? He's lost a lot of mass since his WWE days. Um, he talks about how AJ can't beat him 1v1. I think AJ Styles had won the, the title from him in a triple threat match. Um, and he ends the, the promo with a takeoff of his old WWE catchphrase, this time saying it's real, it's damn real. Yeah, I, I love that line. Yeah, I always love that catchphrase. Yeah, Kurt's a good character. I always like hearing him talk. Um, Jeff and Shannon Moore leave, and they get mobbed by some very young teenage girls, and... Jeff Hardy gives one of them his painting and gives one of them a kiss. And Mark just yeah, think, on the cheek, yeah. Yeah, probably should arrest him. Knowing Jeff, yeah, you might want to check what's in that painting as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Nasty Boys then get into Team 3D's locker room um, and they badmouth them and they trash the place. Did you catch the line where, I, I think it was Nobs called him, Bubba Ray, Fat Ray. I just thought the fucking yeah. cheekier. The nerve of these guys calling anybody fat, for God's sake. Yep. Um, and they just, yeah, they, they trashed the place. Then the security guards that hadn't let them in come back with a peace offering of a box of donuts, which they smash the security guards with, tell them that they should have brought them pizza and, and chicken wings, I think, hit the donuts onto them, they fall everywhere, then they pick them up off the floor and eat them anyway. So, yeah, some typical nasty boy fare there. And after that, it is time for our main event of the evening. Kurt Angle now challenging for AJ Styles' World Heavyweight Championship. Um, and I was really hyped now. Um, this is another one I'm looking forward to. And we get a really cool tail of the tape sort of uh, slide during the entrances. Um, they insert it during uh, the guys walking down, you know, talking about height, weight, championships, all that kind of stuff. I thought that was really cool. Really gave it sort of a UFC feel. Um, um, sorry, go on. Going back to, like I mentioned, with the other title matches, they listed the time limits. Yeah. They listed this match as having a 60-minute time limit. 
Was there 60 minutes left of the show at this point? I don't think so, no. Well, they used to... I highly doubt it. Back in the day, say, with TV time remaining, which I always TV thought was quite cool. TV time remaining, yeah. Um, but no, um, I, I, there was probably still a little while left in the show. I don't. It wasn't quick, so, you know, but 60 minutes is definitely a stretch. Um, we have a good start, though. AJ puts on a headlock. Um, he holds on to the headlock during a back suplex, a la Tito Santana from back in the day. Um AJ Styles with a nice leapfrog and a drop kick, and he does a really cool looking avoid on the apron and somersault into a plancher, so just avoids getting hit by Kurt. Um, we've got a masked man immediately runs in, and I'm just going, what the fuck, don't tell me you're going to kill your title match here with a DQ in the first minute. But Kurt takes him out, nails him, and then helps AJ up wanting the match to resume, which was, I, I thought, they sort of swerved the swerve, which was pretty cool. Um, Kurt Angle then hits a scary looking, considering the current circumstances, corner powerbomb a la Seth Rollins. So that was interesting mm. to see. And we go to a commercial break there. And when we come back, AJ Styles with a cool looking Death Valley driver into a knee drop, which was pretty sweet. Um, forearm, he goes, he goes for his phenomenal forearm, but he's caught in a belly-to-belly suplex by Kurt Angle, who... Probably has the best suplexes in wrestling for me. I know Brock's famous for it now, but Kurt does it so smooth. Um, AJ nails a cool discus clothesline for a two count, um, and we get from the crowd the first of many good chants um, with a This Is Wrestling chant, which was pretty cool. Um, there's also been all through this start some dueling AJ and Angle chants, so let's go AJ, let's go Kurt, AJ, Angle, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, both men are really popular. Um, AJ, especially with the females in the audience. Yep. Um, southern boy for the for the southern girls there. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kurt hits a cool looking slingshot, and then a German suplex uh, rolls through for a triple German. Um, goes for the angle slam, but it's reversed. Um, and then AJ goes for the Pele kick, which is caught and ankle lock. AJ rolls him up out of the ankle lock for a two count. Nails a Pele kick for another two count, and great sequence there, really quick stuff. I noticed that Earl Hebner's the referee at this point as well, which was cool. Um, some more throwback stuff there. Um, but then Angle nails an angle slam for a two count. AJ nails a phenomenal forearm, and we get a second rope belly-to-belly suplex from Kurt for a two count, and they're going to the, the big spots really early in the match here. Yeah, um, when I saw them wrestling like this this early, I thought, oh. No, is this going to be another quickie one and done thing? Yeah, I had that same thought at this point. Mm. Just back to um, Angle hit the Angle slam earlier on in the match. There was really no reaction to it whatsoever. No. No drama behind it. It's dead as a finisher by this point. Yeah, definitely. Did you notice then he misses a frog splash, which is something I've not seen Kurt Angle do before. I don't know if that's a TNA regular, but that was interesting. And Styles hits... just sort of started adding it at this point, I think. Okay, cool. And Styles nails the Styles Clash for a two-count, which got a good pop, actually. This one, you know, I think they thought it was done there. Legitimate surprise at the kick-out. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the crowd are getting a lot better at this, but commentary, I thought, weren't very good at selling the drama. Like, a move would happen, and they'd wait for the kick-out to happen, then they'd talk about about, like, oh my god, I can't believe he kicked out! But, like, when the move was happening, they weren't you know, getting over, getting it over with any kind of urgency. Yeah, and for the finishing sequence, you'd normally expect the commentary to be kicking into high gear there, so you kind of know it's not going to happen. Mm. Um, Kurt then does nail a frog splash for a two count um, before his next angle slam attempt is reversed into a DDT, which gets a two count for AJ. 
Um, and we get a, a Who Needs Brett chant from the Impact Zone. Yeah. It was pretty harsh. <laughs> I mean, it made me laugh, but yeah, a bit rough. Um, I was dead excited to see Brett back, so I guess I need Brett. <laughs> um, we get an ankle lock, then Buddy's out. Uh, Kurt then manages to, he, he flips into a German suplex for a two count. Um, AJ Styles hits a really cool moonsault into a reverse DDT off the ropes for a two count. Um, then we get an angle slam off the top rope for a two count. And this was where I was like, whoa, this has got to slow down a little bit. It's just a million finishes with no, they're going to kill off all their finishes on the first night. Mm. Uh, angle slam, like a super finisher shouldn't be a two count. No. Um, we've got, and my note just says maybe too many finishes. Kurt Angle reverses an Enziguri and we get a Styles Clash again for a two count. Um, the pop for this one's not as big. Um, we then get a clash attempt for a third Styles Clash reversed into an ankle lock and he drops down and bars the leg. But Ric Flair walks onto the ramp, the crowd woos like crazy, and AJ Styles manages to get out of the ankle lock. AJ comes back with a back suplex and then a springboard 450 splash, which also gets a two count. Um, and we're told that they will stay on the air until the match is over, so maybe they will go 60 minutes, but highly unlikely. <laughs> we get a commercial break. And then we come back and AJ is in a triangle choke, but he does get out, hits a Styles Clash again, so a third one in the match, and a second springboard 450, and he gets the one, two, and the three. Um, I, I put this was a decent match, good title match, showed what they can do, but it was a little bit like playing on the PlayStation. I really like this match, yeah. I, I totally get what you were saying. Um because there were some nice sequences, but I thought they came in very, very early. So it was kind of hard to get a, the right sort of build to the match. I, I think there was nothing in this match that was bad. Like, let me say that straight away. Oh, sorry, mate. My computer's just about to die. Let me just plug it in. One second. Oh, no problem. Okay. We're still good. I'll just cut that bit out or leave it in and they can take the piss. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, there was nothing in this match that was bad. It was all good stuff, all crisp, but they just went to their big moves too early. And because of that, it, they sort of had nowhere left to go, I felt, and they just had to repeat the spots. Yeah, um, just, it probably is a case of just trying too much for the time they had allotted to them. Yeah. But I still thought it was a pretty good match. Yeah, I, I agree. That's one on the night. Yeah, I, I think probably across both shows. I know we've not got to Raw yet, but I think this is the best match by far. I just, yeah. it, I guess just for the two guys involved, I don't think they told the best story they could tell. Um, and I don't think they left themselves anywhere to go for future matches now. With it taking three Styles Clashes and two Springboard 450s to get the win, and him being in the ankle lock four or five times, kicking out of the angle slam a couple, and the angle slam off the top rope, all sort of dead as finishes for the next match. Yeah, I think it's tr an attempt really to play off the familiarity with each other. They'd already had a big feud back in summer of two thousand and eight, and they did they did uh, they brought that into the match a lot better in the early going. So like when AJ hit his drop kick, he had to hit this dummy earlier on to get it, um, you know, to get it executed. Yeah, to full angle to it. Okay. But no, definitely highly enjoyable. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm sort of shitting on it too much because I definitely like this match and it, it kept me captivated. Um, 
Yeah. Another one that liked the match was Dixie Carter, who was clapping like a, a fan in the crowd, which was pretty cool, actually. Um, I know Dixie gets ragged on all the time, but her sitting in the crowd and putting over AJ and Kurt like that, I, I thought added to it. Um, we then, we're going to go to the closing sequence where basically um, Hulk comes out and says that this is the two best wrestlers in the world, which again, I thought was a nice touch, Hulk coming out and giving them their due. Um, but then he's got a, a producer comes out who sort of whispers in his ear, and then he runs off. Um, Mick Foley backstage walks in on Val with the, with the girls uh, looking for Hulk Hogan. Uh, they don't know where he is. And then he goes into Hulk's office, and Bischoff is there waiting. Um, Foley says he'd never work for Bischoff again, and that he ca- um, he's going to hit him. But then we get Income Hall Nash and the the kid Sean Waltman, and they attack. Um, Hulk Hogan runs in, you know, basically knowing that there was a bit of a fracas going on there, and just stops in the door and sees what's happened, sells a little bit of surprise. So, what did you make to this ending? Yeah, I had here uh, Hulk Hogan had his David Caruso moment, whipping <laughs> off his shades, wondering <laughs> yeah. what's going on. Ah, oh, totally not excited about you know having the band involved like this. It's essentially setting up an NWO versus Mick Foley feud, isn't it? And that's, mm. you know, kind of taken the final billing over what, for me, the night should have ended on AJ and Kurt. I know it was the main event, but that was where the money was for me. Yeah, it's very telling when uh, Tanae was running through all the plaudits of the match, like, oh, wow, what a great main event we had. He thanked Hulk Hogan for it. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, oh, thank you, Hulk Hogan, for giving this, this great wrestling for <laughs> these two wrestlers who were here years before you were. You know? <laughs> um, overall thoughts on Impact? Interesting show. Um, some good in-ring stuff that was perhaps a little bit too rushed. I'm not excited about um, all of the past names that have come in at this point. Um that would get a lot worse. So this is kind of a calm before the storm kind of show. I've just got two thoughts on it. One that I mentioned earlier is that they're they're doing too much. So um, trying to add gravitas to a night and failing because they're trying to cram so much in. Um, And my other one is I think they debuted too many guys. Yeah. You know, Hall, Waltman, Flair, Hogan, Orlando Jordan and the Nasty Boys and Val Venus all showing up on the same night. It, it was just too much. I think that... Yeah, it... and with all the talk up of, you know, the current state of the company, like, you had guys like Beer Money who did nothing. Yeah. Right after Jarrett called them the best hat team in the world, but you couldn't give them a match like, you know. Yeah, that laid out backstage and... Uh, you know, spoiler, I don't know where, where this angle heads. Um, if, if we do a few more of the shows, I'm sure we'll find out. But, I'm, you know, I got the feeling it was probably Hall and Waltman laying the guys out backstage. I'm happy to be proven wrong as we go on. But, it, you know, it, it didn't make them look good by any stretch that someone's come and laid the pair of them out. So, you know, other than that, though, I thought it was enjoyable. I, the, Knowing where this heads as far as the ratings and the big drop-off, I have to say I'm a little bit surprised that a show with all these names couldn't keep a competitive or a semi-competitive war going on for a little bit longer than what it did. I I did feel that, like they'd brought in enough pieces to give it a good go. I think what might have harmed them was... So this... This initial episode on the Monday night was just a one-off special. Yeah. And they carried on on Thursday up till about March, I think it was. 
and then they built to okay they're properly moving to Monday night. Oh really? Um, I thought it was like a yeah. a six week span where they just went and then it failed miserably. Okay, that makes more sense then. Yeah, but it was about that sort of time frame. But yeah, there was a spell in between where they were still on Thursdays. Because oh, okay. I remember they um, they used Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair sort of in ring returns to hype the proper return, oh, okay. the proper um, you know start as a Monday night show. Oh, we're definitely gonna have to do that one then. Yeah, I have to see where we can find that. Brilliant. All right, well, that's Impact in the bag, so we'll head over to Raw, see what they've got to offer, and um, we'll see how we land coming out of that one. So let's do it. Impact in the bag, we head over to Monday Night Raw, um, where we start off with Justin Roberts introducing Brett the Hitman Hart to a really eerie silence um, at first, but then he does appear to a really huge pop. Um, it was pretty cool. Um, we got Pyro for Brett coming out, and Jerry Lawler was selling it on commentary. At first, I thought he was on commentary alone, because Michael Cole wasn't saying anything, but he does get in there eventually. Um Brett comes to the ring, gets a mic, and he says, I guess hell has frozen over, which we all thought at the time. I don't think I ever expected Brett to be back on Raw. Um, tw- yeah. 12 years after the Montreal screw job, And he claims that Vince McMahon had stopped him coming back, which is not how I remember it, but okay. Um, yeah, I can't, yeah. That, that line sort of had my ears burning a little bit. Yeah, I always remember Vince begging him to come back and him saying he didn't want to, you know belittle what had gone on with Montreal and Owen passing, but, you know, you can revise history mm. if you're going to do an angle, I guess. Um, Just, uh, back, sorry, back to this 12 years stuff. Jerry Lawler says, it's been 12 years since anyone's seen Bret Hart. <laughs> <laughs> He's not been missing, presumed dead or anything. He went to WCW, he played Virginie in some stage show. And then he was in the Hall of Fame like four years ago. <laughs> Wrote a newspaper article. <laughs> you know, he's been around. Yeah. <laughs> and WCW wasn't that lowly viewed. I mean, a few people tuned in. <laughs> he name drops the WWE Universe, which I always cringe at when old guys coming back say that. It just, you know, I don't know. And, um, oh, yeah, it's so weird hearing him say that phrase as well. Yeah. And we get a huge welcome back chant, which was well-deserved. If anyone deserves this kind of reaction for coming back, it's definitely Brett. Um, he thanks the crowd, gets a bit of a cheap pop saying this is the city where he won the King of the Ring before calling out Shawn Michaels. Um, Cole is here on commentary, finally, I hear him. Shawn Michaels comes out and Cole says that this is their first contact since Montreal. Um, in actual fact, they did make up backstage earlier in the day. Uh, have you read this in, I don't, it wasn't in Brett's book, I, I've read it somewhere else later. Um, maybe that, no, they, they talked about it on their rivalries um, on the network, actually. You can watch it, I'm pretty sure that's Yeah. Um, and they basically yeah, just, Brett just walked up to him and Sean just got up and gave him a huge hug backstage. I don't even think they said anything to start with. I think they just both wanted to catch up and get it over with. Um, and from there, actually, they talked about they were pretty friendly and joking about it and talking about old times. So it was almost an instant burial, burial of the hatchet there with those guys, which was pretty cool. Um, 
So back to the ring, Brett basically says he wants to offer him a truce. Um, Sean does have to sell the angle a little bit first, though. He says he's got something he's been waiting 12 years to say to him, and then he tells him, you deserved it. Um, and we get a huge, you screwed Brett chant from the crowd, which Sean should be used to by now. Probably the, the best thing to come out of them making up for Sean was stop having to hear that everywhere, every time he went to Canada. Um, Sean says there's a big part of him that does not regret it. Um, but he knows a lot's changed and he says he always respected Brett, but he didn't feel Brett respected him. And he thinks that the 60, um, minute Iron Man match, he doesn't think anyone else could have done that. He wants them to be remembered for that instead of Montreal. And, um, they both agree they've been carrying it for 12 years. And he just says to Brett, I've only got one question for you. I want to know if you're sure. And if you're ready, um, Brett says that it's time and he wants to offer his hand in friendship. Um, they do shake hands and then we get another cool little tease. Sean stands off on that angle where, you know, he could pop a super kick off at any point. Yeah. Uh, really held it there for a few seconds with Brett, even almost sort of his stance kind of daring him to do it. Um, but they don't. Sean comes back in and they have a big hug. And I have to say the look on their faces, it didn't look, they weren't acting to me. They looked genuinely relieved to be in the ring sorting this out for the first time. And it was a, this was a pretty special moment. Like This was big. Yeah, so surreal. Um, Sean, when he was talking about the WrestleMania 12 match, he was talking about a 60-minute iron match. <laughs> Just made a steal, it was. <laughs> it wasn't 60 minutes to do the ironing, Sean. <laughs> Man, he must have been behind. Um, um, the audience reaction was really interesting for me when was it Brett that offered for shake yeah yeah and then yeah so then they were they sounded very skeptical about you know whether Sean's really going to go through it and then it happened and they were just like oh really really happy yeah it was one of the moments where kind of everyone I think even the crowd there was some genuine emotion in there and it wasn't the biggest pop you'll ever hear because I think a lot of them were really genuinely gripped at what they were watching it was less of an angle and more of a moment well if you look out into the crowd and the signs and stuff it's really really weird it's 2010 and the crowd signs are predominantly made up of dx fluorescent green and bret hart hot pink yeah um, so this was this is what everyone came to see there's no doubt about it um actually kind of like have you have you just to digress for a moment have you watched the goldberg segment from raw I did, yes. Very cool. Um, what, what's your opinion on it? Because I think we've already seen Kyle's on Twitter. <laughs> well, I thought the segment was really, really good. Yeah. Um, but I'm not excited about this match whatsoever. I'm not excited about the match, but I have to say a big part of me, like, I, I went into this segment not a Goldberg fan, never been a big fan, but I came out of it a little bit of a Goldberg fan. Oh, right, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I always liked him from his WCW days. Yeah, I just I don't think he was suited to the Fed at all when he came in, and you know he was a part of the, the Triple H burial squad there, <laughs> the Ray Matera. Anyway, yeah. it, th that moment it just reminded me a little bit of this with that sort of same really emotional reaction. I think it's a bit more smart, Marky, when people come back these days with with the chance. But this was really more genuine. Um, Brett then calls out Vince, who does not come out to huge boos. The crowd are not happy with this at all. Um, Brett's great. It's like, come on, Vinny. <laughs> yeah. I, only really him and Piper I can remember getting away with calling him Vinny and Junior and stuff actually on TV. They're the only two I can remember getting away with it. I think um, Bruno Sammartino was on Legends of JBL this week, and I'm pretty sure he 
Carl Vince Jr. at one point. I've not watched it yet, but I am quite keen to see that. Um, other than the fact that when um, Paul Ellering debuted on NXT, I thought it was Bruno Sammartino for a quick second. Of, um, I am genuinely <laughs> excited to see what he says. <laughs> They've got the same head. It's been a while. That's <laughs> true. Um, we go backstage and Josh Matthews calls out Vince. Um, sorry, he tells Vince that Brett calls him out. Josh Matthews does not call out Vince. <laughs> that, would, that would have been interesting TV. Josh Matthews. <laughs> yeah, he calls him out and still manages to sound like a little prick while doing it. <laughs> um, he tells him that Brett calls him out. Vince tells him that he'll come out later when he's good and ready. Um, Michael Cole tells us that Molina's hurt and vacates the Divas title, despite the fact that I asked you who had that title five minutes before we started recording. <laughs> and we're told there'll be an eight-woman tournament. I hated women's wrestling back here. I've probably just tuned it out, even reviewing. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we go to Maurice versus Brie Bella, speaking of women's wrestling. Um, and I just think, is this the worst possible follow-up to Bret Hart's debut you can have? Wow. Well, uh... King's on top form here. He calls the Bellas the hottest thing since sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> and when he's remarking on the fact that there's two of them, he says, when I see this, I just think, way to go, God. <laughs> I didn't know lecherous Jerry Lawler lasted this long. Uh, oh, yeah. It was uh, sort of creeped in there. And it's I not like sort of like, ah, puppies kind of thing because the PG at this point, but still... I don't know if I told you, but I hadn't at this stage probably watched Raw in oh, I would I would say at least a year, maybe two. And um, this was yeah. the last episode of Raw I watched in probably four or five years. And I remember that Brett, Sean, Vince stuff so vividly. I have no recollection of having ever seen Maurice. So it's just wow, yeah, yeah interesting that I obviously I just had that segment and forgot everything else that happened on this show. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, this just wasn't a good way to follow it up. We start off with Maurice hitting a slap and running, um, and Brie gets an awkward hair pull and then sort of puts her into the buckle and then does some sort of hair swings with her as well, going into a snapmare. Um, just your typical standard women's fare at this time. Um, she hits a drop kick and the crowd is completely dead for a babyface offense. No one cares at all. Um, then we get Nikki slamming a face on the table. So, uh, uh, sorry, were the Bella's faces at this point? Uh, yes, I assume so. Because they were double teaming and, and healing it up, but okay. Um, we get a roll up for a two count from Bree, and we then get a kick and a weird rope run before Maurice pulls her down. So that it was a little bit awkward. Um, we get the the twin magic swap, um, but Maurice spots it, nails Nikki, and hits it. Gets a three count in a really awful match. Um, she nails it with a, a DDT that they call the French kiss. Uh, what did you think yeah, about this that one? DD well, that DDT is nice, but there's just zero wrestling in this match whatsoever. Yeah. I, I named every move. That was it. <laughs> when you were talking about the Knockouts title match earlier on being comparable to, you know, 2010 Divas action, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Wait till this comes up. Yeah, well, that's what I wrote at the time watching Impact. This is standard Divas fair. And then I watched this and thought, well, no, even for what was not very interesting or not great, was much better than what this had sunk down to. I guess I was considering, you know, in my mind, women's wrestling was probably somewhere between the Trish Stratus, Mickey James, Lita, um, Victoria, somewhere, it always fell somewhere between that and the Stacey Keebler, Tori Wilson, Molina kind of stuff. And this was even a notch below any of that. 
yeah, uh, just, I mean, I, I did rag on Brie Bella a little bit when she returned, like, in 2013 and stuff. But at least she had some ambition then with, like, her in-ring work. Yeah. She did really nothing in this match. Because, like, a Flying Mare was about the only wrestling move I, I could find. And an awesome uh, theme song. <laughs> now I'm talking about the Brie one. Brie mode. Oh, Brie mode. Oh, <laughs> um, and then after the match, Miz comes out and he sort of flirts with Maurice on the ramp a little bit, but then cuts a bit of a heel promo on her. Um, that was awkward and weird, but it was interesting. It was good for the Miz. Um, made Maurice look like a bit of a mongo. Yeah, I did wonder. I mean, you were saying... You're asking me whether the Bellas were face or not. I'm pretty sure they were because I don't remember Maurice being a face. But maybe this was their kind of teasing it. Well, maybe they could turn their face. Yeah, it was awkward. Um, yeah. But anyway, we then go to a, a fatal four-way. Um, and apologies again if we're missing any of the bits in between. We are watching this on Daily Motion, which was in eight parts, I think it was. And it was a little bit choppy. I think we missed little tiny bits, but nothing significant from when we were checking it out. So if I have missed anything, I apologise. And if you remember what happened between the commercial break in 2010 Raw, you probably need to get out a bit more anyway. Um, <laughs> we've got MVP up against Jack Swagger, up against Carlito, up against Mark Henry in a fatal four-way um, for a shot at the Mrs. US title. Um, it starts during a commercial break, so we don't see what, what's happened early, but when we come back, we show that Mark Henry's been hit into the ring post, and Carlito has been taking over on the other two. Um, Swagger comes back with a big slam for a two count, and then a belly-to-belly -belly suplex for a two count, before Mark Henry recovers, comes back in, dumps MVP, hits a clothesline on Swagger, and headbutts to Carlito and puts him in a bear hug. Swagger breaks it up, not letting the, the tap out come there, Puts him into a, a sort of a, like a torture rack type move, but um, mm. it, it was more like just holding him in a fireman's carry, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the wrong way around, and it just kind of looked like he was just waiting about for the next spot, and lo and behold, he was. Yeah, um, which is... Um, um, sorry, go on. Yeah, just going back to sort of when uh, when uh, Henry had Kalito on the bear hug. There was a nice little bit earlier on before that. He had him like in the power slam and he swung Carlito's feet into Swagger to take him out. I don't understand why he just didn't hit the world's strongest slam and try, try to win the match. Yeah, I, 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 this has always been a gripe of mine in wrestling. I do the wrestling logic thing quite a bit. But um, when guys with a power slam finisher do a different slam, I've never understood it. The British Bulldog was one. He'd pick you up and do a normal body slam when his finisher was a running power slam. It always drove me bonkers. Mm. Um, yeah, so I agree with you 100% there. Um, yeah, and, just, it, yep. it makes no sense to try a submission in this match. No, you, you're going to get nailed. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, MVP hits a, a big boot on Mark Henry to break it up. Um, Carlito then comes in and hits Jack Swagger in the crutch. Um, and a playmaker for the 1-2-3 for MVP. So, um, pretty quick match considering four guys in it, but it, it wasn't too bad. I thought this was a bit awkward, really. Um, Swagger looked quite good in this match. And the booking of Henry sort of made sense. It was just a shame his offence didn't match up to it. Yeah. Um, who's Spencer Pratt? I have no idea. Miz is talking about, on commentary, um, how he was sitting with Spencer Pratt. And talking about Mark Henry and how, oh, he should be on The Biggest Loser because he's fat and he's a loser. Maybe someone from The Biggest Loser? I've... <laughs> yeah, stumped on that. No clue. Uh, feel free yeah. to tweet and tell us. 
Um, and we get a, a good little stare down between MVP and The Miz. And I have to say, even though it, it wasn't the best match and it was a bit clunky, MVP and The Miz isn't a program, is, a, is a program that I probably wouldn't mind seeing, to be honest. I think I always liked MVP. He was all right. And I'm not fond of The Miz is the wrong term, but I, I don't think he's too bad. I think he's a good heel. We then, yeah, this is just before he sort of really grew into his role. Yeah. Um, he was in the, still in sort of transitioning from his MTV real world kind of character. Yeah, he was definitely improving and he dropped the like shorts and went for proper tights. Yeah. Um, although, did you see what he was wearing here? No. Oh, he had this ridiculous hoodie underneath his like suit jacket. It looked crap. <laughs> I, I don't know why I don't didn't, like didn't spot that. That's awful. Uh, I'm a big one for like wrestling fashion. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've then got Sho and Jericho um, backstage, and we're told that they have to win the tag titles from DX tonight, or Jericho has to leave Raw. Um, and then Jericho wants to make a deal with Bret Hart. Um, he says he talks about how he trained in Stu Hart's dungeon, that he perfected the walls of Jericho on Keith Hart, which popped me. <laughs> and he asks Brett if he'll be the special guest referee. Um, he drops the line that then you can screw him back talking about Shawn Michaels. Um, Brett refuses. He talks about how Jericho trained with the kids, not not the older hearts, and how Smith made him scream. So really sort of just refutes everything Jericho says in the promo. Yeah, when he was talking about Keith tapping out, um, he's saying he tapped so hard that the cats went running everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh my god! It wasn't just—it's not just Natty who's a crazy cat person from the Hart family. No, I'm pretty sure it they runs in the cats. family. Yeah. You have heard the story, haven't you? Of um, I think I want to say it was in Dynamite Kids book, but it might not have been. Um, where he talks about Stu Hart's making them eggs, and then he has the spatula and he cleans up the cat shit and then uses the same spatula again on the eggs. Oh, minging. Yeah, that, that has always made me cringe. I'm pretty sure Jericho's oh. even dropped that reference on his podcast a few times as well, so there must be some truth to it. Oh, my God. But yeah, don't have eggs at the heart <laughs> dungeon. Um, no. Um, <laughs> from there, we go to Triple H and Hornswoggle backstage, really doing the typical DX merchandise shill for the new Mattel figures. Um, it's pretty awful. Um, I hate Hornswoggle. I'm not even going to lie. I, he's a fucking waste of space. Yeah. And then Sean comes in and says the same thing we've all been thinking. Why do you talk to him like a child? He's not a child. He has a beard. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but one saving grace of this segment for me. Yeah. Yeah. Santino then comes in, dressed as uh, Jericho, sorry, and um, Triple H sets Hornswoggle onto him. Uh, they tell Hornswoggle that he can't have the toys either until they win the match. So he can play with all these brand new Mattel action figures after the job's done. Uh, right, in retrospect, this final DX reunion is especially awful because when you think about... Sean is literally most from retiring. Yeah. And he's just here shilling stuff as DX. The idea of like him and Hunter having a reunion in the ring is fine, but this kind of material just sucks. DX was very much the law of diminishing returns, wasn't it? Because I think, yeah. you know, every time it 
got back together, it got a little bit worse. I guess maybe if you count some of the 99, 2000 reunions, then compare it against the genuine electricity of when Triple H and Sean teased it in 2002, maybe it got better that time. But from then on, it was downhill every single time. Um, that was one of the, the last times I feel like I was genuinely marking out was when Triple H and Sean came out and did the, the DX reunion before Hunter nailed him with the pedigree, um, before their SummerSlam match. That was, I was... Off, I was off my lounge on my feet when that happened. I, was, I always loved DX. Um, but, yeah, their later run, I don't know what year it was. They all blend in together after this where they, you know, they took on the Spirit Squad and the McMahons and Big Show and whatnot. It was, yeah. it was okay, but it wasn't a patch on the early DX stuff. I was all right with it in principle because um, I thought at that point the business was getting very sort of straight-laced and yeah. nobody, like, poked fun out of, out of each other. It was all too serious. But again, the material wasn't always up to scratch. And um, it was right around the time they revived ECW as well. Yeah. So it was at the kind of point where it kind of felt like nostalgia was taking over the business a bit too much. So I wasn't quite as keen on it as perhaps I would have been. Two bones of contention for that DX run as well. First of all, glow sticks. Awful. (sighs) And second of all, Shawn Michaels, if you're going to point to your belly button, just stop doing the crouch chop. Mm. <laughs> it was just weird, but anyway, it was what it was. Um, there's some good matches out of it, um, so it, it's not terrible, but it certainly wasn't anything like it used to be. Um, and up next, we do have that tag match. Um, we're leading into Jerry Show, which I think is a cool tag team name as a side note, up against DX, who are the champions. And early on, we've got the big show in control on Triple H before Jericho comes in and stands on Triple H, who's draped on the second rope. Um, he's getting big heat, Jericho. The crowd fucking hate him. Um, Triple H comes back with his Arn Anderson spine buster. Uh, before Sh- Show comes in to block the tag and trash talk Sean on the apron, um, he slams Triple H when he comes back in the big show and goes up for a Vader bomb, which misses. Um, interesting move there. And we do get a, a bit of a hot tag to Sean, who comes in, and it's hard to do the babyface comeback when there's a size difference that there is, um, but he hits chops on the big show before hitting him with a couple of forearms, or his flying forearm and a kip-up, which Michael Coles tells us is vintage Sean Michaels. Um, hits him with a second forearm and kip-up, and then decides just to drop kick him in the knee to take him down. Uh, he nails Jericho, and he goes up top, but Jericho crutches him on the ropes, um, and then Hornswoggle comes in and hits the earthquake splash on the big show, which was just fucking stupid. Um, the little whoopsie. Yep. Um, then we get we get a pin attempt on big show from that, who powers out, thank Christ. Um, yeah, naturally. Yeah. And he, he blocks the sweet chin music and clotheslines Sean for a two count, which gets a good pop from the crowd, the kick out there. Um, Jericho comes in and Sean gets his knees up on the lion salt. Then blocks the walls of Jericho before Triple H comes in and hits the pedigree. Um, Show makes a save on the pin. Choke slam on Sean is blocked. And Triple H hits a pedigree with Shawn Michaels jumping on back of Big Show at the same time, which looked a bit dangerous. Um, yeah, I had hit it. Um, it kind of looked like he was just having a, a, giving him a leaping pat on the arse. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to the help Triple H pedigree. Show it, it was a it was a bit like sort of a an elbow drop you'd drop on your buddy in the lounge room. <laughs> yeah, um, Jericho hits a roll up for a two count, then a code breaker. But he pauses for too long before going for the pin, and the two is broken up. And Hornswoggle comes in and tunes up the band before Jericho kicks his head off, and it is amazing. <laughs> yes, he fucking nails him, doesn't he? It's King Kong Bundy esque. 
yeah, probably my favourite spot in that match. <laughs> Definitely. Fuck Holland Swagger. I fucking hate him. <laughs> um, Jericho comes back in and puts the walls on Triple H, but uh, Shawn Michaels with a super kick for the three count in a decent tag match. Not too bad. What did you think? Yeah, pretty good. Crowd were really, really into it. Um, over near falls and stuff. Um, what was I going to mention here? Um, oh, I've completely gone blank here. You're going to talk about the after yeah. match stuff? Oh, just sorry, yeah, Big Show's Vader Bomb. That's another one of those moves you never see hit. No, not at all. <laughs> after the match, Hornswoggle comes in and does crutch chops, and I just write, fuck off, Hornswoggle. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much my analysis here. But pretty good, but Hornswoggle can fuck right off. <laughs> yep. Lots of crowd heat and the near falls at the end were very well done. Yeah, I think this is probably second best match of the two shows for me, probably. Um, it's not a patch on the main event of Impact, which I did critique earlier, but it's you know it, it's still not too bad. It's a good TV mm. match is what I would describe this as. Um, yeah. Triple H tells Jericho on the mic, bye-bye. Show stands over Jericho, doesn't really show him any sympathy, and then Sean tells Jericho we've got two words for him. Show walks out on Jericho while the crowd sing the usual na-na-na-na, hey-hey-hey, goodbye. I was wondering if Show was going to properly turn on Y2J here, because I thought in their little backstage skit earlier on, Jericho was quite condescending to Show, even though... Big Show was kind of like, oh, all right, I'll do what you want and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think maybe they saved that for, for a possible future angle, the way it looked there, where they could come back to it if they wanted to. Yeah. But um, this was a not bad. Jer- does Jericho get kicked out of promotions more than any other wrestler you can think of? He loves to just go out the right way with a humiliating send-off, doesn't he? Yeah. It, it's, um, his ego's not so much that he's not past-looking the fool. No, for the payoff. not at all. Um, we then go to a backstage segment where Randy Orton knocks on Vince McMahon's door and he sort of offers to help Vince, who is pissed off about being interrupted by Orton. Um, they'd been big sort of, you know, angles with Orton and Triple H bringing the McMahon family into it in, well, I think the year before, was it? Maybe two years before? It's pretty much this time last year where he punted Vince McMahon in the head right before the Royal Rumble. Yeah, and they kind of sell Vince does definitely sell that he doesn't like Orton here but probably not the blood feud it should be considering all that um Vince says that what Brett did to him was nothing compared to what Orton that did so he doesn't want his help um Orton offers to punt Brett um wants to be number 30 in the Royal Rumble in exchange for this Vince says never to confront him again Orton's a bit pissed off and walks away as Vince goes back into his office um and then we get Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase coming and telling him that they're going to sit at ringside and if he doesn't win against Kofi Kingston they're going to kick him out of Everton uh, kick him out of Everton what the hell am I talking about <laughs> 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 you haven't played for Everton <laughs> kick him out of legacy even <laughs> that's the weirdest fumble I've had on the show today <laughs> Still, obviously, seething about that um, one-all draw on the weekend. Must be. Uh Yeah. Um, But no, they're going to kick him out of legacy because he threatened to do that to them the week before. So what did you think about this? It's a nice little nod back to Orton's old legend killer gimmick. Yeah. He's like, Brett's the only legend I've not really killed. It was good, wasn't it? I I thought Orton showed some good fire and um, Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase showed some personality there as well. Mm, yeah, um, pretty productive. Although I will say, 
all this talk of kicking Bret Hart in the head, I'm just like, <laughs> Lloyds of London ain't going to go out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and Goldberg returned this week as well. It's all falling into place. Oh, yeah. Um, we're told that next week Mike Tyson will be the guest host. So they really are bringing back the big names of the past here. Um, and then we've got last week, Sheamus got himself disqualified to keep the belt against John Cena. A little recap of that. Um, yeah, he closed the show by hitting two bro kicks on Cena and standing tall. Whoa! What on earth? <laughs> Cena making someone look good here, you know. Yeah, I just wish they'd pick the right bloody guys to do it with once in a while. Uh, yeah. Sheamus has never done it for me, so he's, he's, I'm not a big Sheamus fan. Um, I, I liked him sort of 2011 onwards. Um, when he turned face, he kind of added something. Um, he was definitely not ready at this point in time. I just I've never understood why he comes out and yells fella. I know what fella means, but it's not a word that you can just say as a one-word sentence. It makes no sense. It's not fella, you say. It's uh, it's something else in, in Irish. Oh, is um, it? Yeah, uh, it means like, um, like, don't... Not don't tread on me. It's like, um, uh, look out, I'm on my way or something. It's, it's in, I think it's in OSW's, uh, some, one of their SummerSlam episodes. Ah, I'll have to go back and watch one that one. One of their modern SummerSlam episodes. Yeah, I must have been asleep through that one, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've watched them all, I never caught that. Just show myself up there, no worries. <laughs> anyway, Sheamus cuts a promo on Cena, um, and he says that he's not going to be facing him at the Royal Rumble. He starts to call out Bret Hart, but we get Evan Bourne coming out, who decides he wants a title match. Um, Sheamus says if he beats him here, he'll give him a shot at the title at the Royal Rumble. Um, good little setup for a match here. So we get Evan Bourne up against Sheamus. Um, Sheamus, not Sheamus, Evan Bourne hits some nice legs kicks to start the match and a nice midsection kick and a shooting star press right off the bat for a two count. Impressive, but maybe a bit early to be going off there. Um, he gets caught off the top rope with a crossbody into an SOS slam by Sheamus, um, who sort of is knocking... The crowd are chanting for Cena as Sheamus is, is sort of mugging it up a little bit here. Um, hits the brogue kick, which hasn't yet been named, and then finishes it off with a, a raises edge for the three count. So Stoll raises two big moves. Um, mm, yeah, um, I, I have here. Um, that devastating kick. Yeah. <laughs> to refer to the brogue kick. What, what do you think of this match? <sighs> Evan Bond's the wrong person to be doing this with, to be honest. Um, I just you know squash see you by yeah I, it, it, they didn't give him enough a lot more useful no yeah precisely and they kept referring to him as little Evan Bourne as well yeah i uh, really demeaning me here he, he, he was he'd fit in now in the cruiserweight division but you know I, I haven't seen much of this era but he just didn't seem to fit in for me or he wasn't being used correctly anyway no crowd was quite heated for Seamus though yeah yeah especially I agree. when he riffed Especially when you riffed on Bret Hart's catchphrase as well. Yep, yep, I agree. Um, definitely had some good heat there. Um, they talk about um, on commentary how Dr. Death Steve Williams had passed away last week. So that, you know, is another... I, I, I hate to, to say it like this, but with the wrestler deaths, there's been so many. It's, it's sometimes hard to remember who is still with us and who isn't. So that's, that's a little bit sad. But Dr. Death, some fond memories from, you know, I only really saw him in the Attitude Era and some very early WCW. But, you know, he was always all right. So sad one there. Um, obviously, it's six years ago now. But, you know, it was <laughs> watching it at the time. 
Um, Montreal recap from uh, the Brett and Sean angle. Obviously, there's only one thing to be recapped from Montreal. Um, and we get a little graphic that you see on the screen saying that last week Raw was more watched than any show on CW, Fox, ABC, or NBC, which is a, a weird stat to list. They kill to have ratings greater than an NBC or an ABC show at this point in time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't miss those little self-triumphant did-you-know graphics. There was one earlier on, actually, I forgot. Um, it claimed that over 2 million females watched last week's Raw. Okay. <laughs> I think they'd set up for 2 million people at this point in time. 100%. Would, would you not love, though, to... Oh, this is going to sound like a bit of an arsehole thing to say, but wouldn't you just love to be able to hack into the show and do the reverse engineer on those stats and just say, this week's Raw was the least watched since this, that, and the other, or this week's Raw has been crushed by everything else on Monday night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, I, I'd give anything for them to fix Raw. I actually genuinely want to watch it, but I can't watch it. It's, it's awful. Um, we then go to uh, Jamaican-themed Kofi Kingston coming out to take Randy Orton. Um, and we've got some the, the Kofi Kingston, the clap with the pyro, which was a big part of his early entrance. So there's that. Um, and he comes out... Pretty hot in the match. He hits a springboard forearm. But did you catch the crowd reaction to him? There was some dissension here. Yeah, some people were more into Randy Orton. He, he was getting booed for his moves. Like, there was a, a really, not super loud, but definitely audible boos. Um, Randy Orton then goes into a headlock and shoulders Kofi, who comes off with, with two leapfrogs and then a leaping elbow, which was pretty cool and, again, got booed for it. Um, he hits a stinger splash and a clothesline over the ropes. And then that sort of got him... I think the clothesline over the ropes is a move that normally gets a pop out of everyone. So I've got half cheers, half boos. Um, and he hits a baseball slide on Orton in front of Legacy, who was sat next to the commentary table. And a second rope DDT from Orton on the way back in is reversed. Um, he backdrops Kofi out before we go to a commercial break. When we come back in, there's a headlock again from Orton, and we're told that in the ads, Kofi Kingston went to the top rope and was pushed off the top rope to the rail, which is a pretty big spot to have in a commercial break. Um, King tells us that he was at least 15 feet high, which is a complete lie. <laughs> and um, Orton starts stomping the gut of Kofi, holding his two legs when you do the stomp to the midsection, but doing it for a good minute or two. Um, and then gets some really sort of punches and rough stomps in the corner. Um, a slingshot to the bottom rope in a nasty spot there for a two count, which looked pretty good. Um, goes back to a chin lock, and then they go off the ropes and they crossbody each other. Um, Kofi then sits on or gets on in the in the corner and sits on the turnbuckle for a ten punch spot, which was weird. Yeah, uh, Kofi's little crotch dive here never made sense to me whatsoever. You would think throwing your balls into someone's head is likely to cause you a lot more pain. <laughs> But anyway, it is what it is. I hit a nice European uppercut and a, a pretty cool-looking Russian leg uh, sweep and then the boom drop leg drop, uh, which was pretty cool as well. Um, knocks Orton to the outside and hits a suicide dive. Um, a crossbody off the top, back inside, gets a two count. And then a, a weird rope throw sees an RKO blocked. Um, the SOS gets a two count. And then we get an RKO chant here. Um, he then blocks a kick. And hits the RKO for the three count. A little bit of an awkward finishing sequence, um, but it did get a good pop. And Randy Orton's theme song hits. Mm, I can see what you mean about the finish. That it wasn't so that that was Kofi's Trouble in Paradise finisher, and it probably wasn't quite clear that Orton 
got his forearms up to block the kick. Yeah. So it might not have been clear what was going on. Um, Kofi, Kofi's fight at the end was really, really good. Like, his suicide dive, that's the right sort of suicide dive you should be hitting. Yeah. I see so many suicide dives nowadays where you're just literally leaping into holding hands with someone. Yeah. Nobody has the guts to take the correct impact, and it just doesn't look right. Nothing, nothing, um, nothing will ever beat the Benoit Royal Rumble suicide dive. Oh, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, do you, um, what do you think about the match overall? It's all right, really. Uh, Alton was just in this phase where he had to draw everything out, and it killed it a wee bit for me. But yeah. Possible. I was quite shocked that Kofi got the reaction he did because his offense looked good. Oh yeah, Kofi's always been a really good hand. Um, I don't know, maybe they're just sort of a bit burned out. Like they kind of twigged Kofi's not going to be the guy they're going with at this point. Yeah, uh, possibly another one of those, like maybe an early example of the backlash against creative on a wrestler where, you know, the good guys nowadays seem to always get the heat because creative wants to push them or, you know, don't push them enough or not for long enough or drop out on the push, whatever it might be. Uh, the crowd seem to take it out on the wrestler and it, it can last quite a while. It can be hard to get rid of. Mm, I was a bit disappointed that this wasn't the um, stupid, stupid, stupid. No, I was waiting for that. I've only ever heard about it. I've never seen it. I was really hoping it was that. I think it, it was either sometime just before this or just after this. It must have been a tag team match or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully we'll come across that in the not-too-distant future. Um, we then come, we go to a commercial break, we come back, and Vince is doing the Vince walk down the ramp. Um, if you don't know what the Vince walk is, I don't know why you're listening to this show. <laughs> um, and we've got a happy new year for the crowd, and he says that he's got no need to be here. Montreal's over. Next week we'll see Mike Tyson, <laughs> and he tries yeah. to avoid the subject, but Brett just walks out. He's having none of it. Um, he comes in, takes his coat off. Um, Brett still can't dress himself. <laughs> He's oh my God. Yeah. State of him here in his little three quarter length jeans and stuff. Yeah. His high tops with his, his white socks hanging out the top of them. <laughs> um, oh. yeah, he, he can't actually, my note says just that Brett can't dress. <laughs> um, um, it's interesting here. He didn't come out to his music. He just appeared on the ramp. Yeah. We'll give it a sort of Which a... I, was, I mean, I was quite thankful for that, really, because I really... I did not like the new modern remix of his theme. No, it's not as good, is it? No, it's the start of this where everybody who returns has to have a brand new, like, mix of their theme. Like, they did it with The Rock later on. Yeah. Like... Sting came in, had to give him a whole new WWE theme. Well, this goes back a fair way, actually. They did it with Goldberg's theme in 2003, 2004, whenever he came in. They, they remixed that oh, as well. Really? Yeah, we just. Oh. I think it just had a slightly different sort of tempo to it. It was a bit quicker in patches. It just wasn't the exact same theme. Um, but, yeah, Vince basically to, uh, says that he wants to get a few things off his chest here. And he comes in with, the, I really do believe you screwed you, which I loved. <laughs> Brilliant line, yeah. It gets massive boos and a huge, you screwed Brett Chan. <laughs> um, we, we, Vince talks about how he spit on him, how he sucker punched him, and then says how you disrespected me during your Hall of Fame speech. Um, I don't remember that, but I'll have to go back and watch that Hall of Fame speech. I was pretty yeah. excited. Uh, when, yeah, I can't tweak what he's on about there. I can only imagine it was similar to the Warrior one more recently where Brett was just 
pretty honest about his career and Vince didn't like it. Um, and then Vince tells Brett that he wants an apology. The nerve of him, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, Brett says that he's got a different two words other than I'm sorry. Um, Is it suck it? Yeah, that was what I thought. You're stealing the game. <laughs> Been back five minutes and you're stealing Sean's stuff. <laughs> Um, he says that he's halfway to closure, um, that he thought he wanted, um, Vince says that he thought he wanted to kick Bret Hart in the guts, but he does want closure as well. Um, Vince talks about the WrestleMania 2 Battle Royal and says he looked at Andre the Giant and he knew he was looking at the past and he looked at Bret Hart and he knew he was looking at the future, which was a, a cool history reference. I don't do that enough. Um, we said, Vince tells us that he saw Bret go from a tag specialist all the way to the WWF champ. He fought and clawed his way to the top and that he really is the excellence of execution. He says that the reason why Montreal was so personal was because he looked at Vince as a father figure. Um, he talked about wanting to induct Stu Hart into this year's Hall of Fame, which Brett says he appreciates. Um, Vince thanks Brett for all his contributions, every thrilling moment. Thank you for being the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. Offers Brett his hand, and they shake. Um, he then raises Brett's hand. They do the whole look at every side of the ring. Um, before letting go, leaning back and kicking Brett square in the balls before Brett drops like a sack of shit and Vince just walks out to huge booze and I can smell money. Oh, boy. Um, Vince warned him. He said he thought he wanted to kick Brett in the gut and turns out he did in the end after all. He's just a poor shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you cough when... Uh, Stu got nominated for the Hall of Fame. There were some We Want Owen chants. No, I didn't catch that. The, the, the theory was it was going to be that people were hoping it was going to be kind of like when Rock's father and grandfather were inducted. It was going to be like a series of hearts getting inducted. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know whether or not they're ever going to be able to do that one, but they, they should do. I, I, what, what do you think on that, just to dive it? digress for a second do you think without Martha's blessing they should still induct him uh, I mean if you have a look at like his DVD release what they were able to do like without Martha's sort of proper consent or interest in it was just a bit too limited really and yeah yeah I, I don't think it does his legacy justice so it's I think it's really best just to try and keep talking to Martha, really. Um, but, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know whether that's going to really come to pass because it was a very traumatic thing for her to go through. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, think I, 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 I would at one point thought Brett could be the intermediary, intermediary, but I think maybe he's gone a little bit too far the other way since then that that bridge might be burned by now. But yeah, getting back to this segment, I mean, I I remember watching this at the time and I thought, oh, this could be the angle that gets me back. Um, I mean, I had no... I could sense that, okay, they're leading up to a match here, but I have zero interest in seeing Brett in the ring. Yeah, I just... I, I still think to this day that Vince and Brett at Mania could have been done if they just had Brett come out and wipe the floor with him. And didn't have him wrestle on, didn't have him in other matches. It was just, this is a one-time grudge match. I'm willing to risk my health to fight you. And then he just beats the shit out of him. I think that could have been great. I mean, he did beat the shit out of Vince, but he spent like 12 minutes doing it. Yeah, not to mention all the crap beforehand with the hearts and the angle that was just completely unnecessary. 
and uh, Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> typical, typical Bruce Hart. Yeah. Yeah. If so many other podcasts didn't rip on Bruce Hart, I, I would do it. But I think it's been beaten into the ground already. <laughs> but yeah, um, what did you think about Raw overall? Typical another day at the office show, really. Um, besides Brett showing up, this was really Brett's show. Yeah, I've I've got mixed bag. Like in similar but different to TNA in that they had something hot that everyone wanted to see, but they couldn't translate that to the rest of the show being all that good. Um, a couple of okay to good matches, with the tag match probably being the highlight, but not you know they didn't have anything. If they people came back to see Brett, but didn't leave with anything else to hang on to in my for my money. Yeah, it's so weird to me coming to this from uh, that SmackDown and Thunder we watched, where there were like eight or nine matches on both shows. There were only five matches on this Raw. Yeah, felt like they were really quite inefficient with their time. To be honest. I have, the one one positive thing I will say for Raw, and it, it might be more of a backhanded compliment, but after watching Impact, I don't know why, but I, I didn't twig that this would be way before three-hour Raw became the norm. And when I was watching it and realised it was going to be a two-hour show, that really made me happy during the show, so I enjoyed it a lot more and got through it a lot easier. Um, mm. I've not watched a full three-hour Raw, possibly ever. Um, I just can't do it. It's just too long. Yeah, um... Maybe like when it was one of when they would bring it in for special episodes like King of the Ring or the Slammies or something, I might have done it. But um, yeah, I can't recall watching it in full since it was you know regularly three hours. Yes, so so I did enjoy it because of that, just because it was shorter. But yeah, I just you know I think with they probably got a big bump in ratings there. I didn't take the ratings, which I should have done, um, but they didn't do enough to keep people. And you know I didn't stick around, so that that should tell you you know I, I'm probably a a big WWF loyalist for years, and even with Brett and Vince, it couldn't keep me around. Um, but that that'll do it for the start of the two, sh- uh, the rundown of the two shows. We'll go across and um, find out who's going to win the categories here. I'm very interested to see how we score these ones, so um, we'll head over there and do that now. Okay, so now we've reached the part of the show where we pick the winners in the five different categories as per usual. Um, We'll start off this one with production value. Who did you have for production? Raw for me, narrowly. Um, just I could not get over the fact that that Steel Asylum match was just woefully inadequate to look into. Yep, I, I agree with you on Raw. I think it was a lot closer than I expected it to be. Raw looks like a show that's been around for many years and they've got their stuff down pat. But TNA definitely looked big league it wasn't as far away as i expected it to be to be honest um crowd heat who have you got i went for a a tie here (laughs) i probably probably would have given it to tna but you know because their crowd were really into it but i you know i just can't look past the fact that it is just you know um florida tourist and stuff yeah i yeah Oh, surprisingly, I've got a tie as well. <laughs> uh, I think I, I thought the t- probably per person TNA was hotter, but um, yeah. you know I couldn't look past the fact that two things: one, Raw had a much bigger crowd, and you can't say TNA is hotter because then if 
what's to stop you getting one person, one supermarket in and saying we've got the hotter crowd? Uh, it, size does have to factor into it. Um, and secondly, the Brett Vince, Brett Sean stuff, the crowd were, were pretty solidly hot for that. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a close call, and I went with a tie as well. So interesting. Um, Storylines, who did you go for here? I went with Raw um, because of the build-up to the legacy stuff and the little running thing about will Chris Jericho be kicked off if he loses in the tag title match. Um, TNAs. Um, I mean, I, I get that Raw, you know, the, the selling point of the show was Brett coming back, but TNAs show was even more sort of old-timer heavy for me. Yeah, I actually went the same. Um, Raw did the, the thing I mentioned last time that I always like with the angle within the show, the Evan Bourne ran at Everborn Sheamus thing there. Uh, while I didn't enjoy it, it was neatly wrapped. Um, Brett and Vince opened up potentially, and I know they blew it, but potentially one of the biggest storylines of all time, and it left on a cliffhanger. Um, whereas Brett and Sean tied it up nicely and kept both guys babyface and managed to do both of those things in the same show. TNA had good storylines, but poor execution is how I would categorize it. Um, the Hulk Hogan... Willy Woney NWO stuff with Bischoff and Foley as the outside party could have been good, but it was executed poorly. Too much Foley, too much talking in the ring. Um, and also a big negative for me was the Hulk Hogan, Bischoff, are they face or are they heel? I had no idea through the show, and not because it was a cliffhanger, but because they flip-flopped, and I, I didn't like that. Yeah. Um, characters, who did you go with? Raw, um, again, just for the fact that you know a, a lot more of the character focus was on their current stars rather than like with Impact, where you had the Nasties coming in and there's Foley in the band, and Hogan and Bischoff were you know really, really heavily featured on this show. Okay, for the first time, we've actually I've gone the other way. I went with TNA. Um, I think my feeling here is. If you consider, and I know they're, they're regulars on the show, but I consider the likes of Shawn Michaels, Triple H, Jericho, Big Show to be the older guys, you know, in 2010 on Raw, I would sort of compare them up against Hogan, Flair, um, to a lesser extent, your Nash and your Waltman. Um, and those guys were debuting, so to me it felt a little bit more special on this one show. But more importantly than that, if you sort of use those guys as a trade-off, I felt that the TNA guys were better than the Raw other guys, if you know what I mean. The non-main eventers I felt on TNA were better. AJ Styles is a main eventer, granted, but he was a bigger star than anyone outside of Attitude Era guys on Raw. And then you had Samoa Joe, who I felt was a pretty big deal as well. Um, I just felt they had a more solid roster overall is probably how I'd describe it. Mm, yeah, I see um, where you're coming from there. Yeah, and, and match quality, who did you go with? Impact for me, uh, the Styles Kurt Angle match was the best thing between both shows. I also liked the Knockouts tag team title match, and um, Wolf and De Niro and Joe and Abyss were all right as well. I guess. Yep, um, I went with TNA as well for match quality. Um, so they they sewed that one up. You, you hit the nail on the head. The main event was the best thing on either show, and it was not close. There was nothing close to it. So definitely TNA for match quality there. Um, which gives us all the categories scored, and by my count, we've got two ties, so they're going to cancel each other out, and then one, two, three, four, five wins to Raw, compared to three wins for TNA, uh, meaning overall, Raw gets the win, um, 
which uh, I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest. Even though we've scored it, I kind of, I'm not sure that I would call Raw the definite winner. I guess the Brett Vince stuff is probably enough to tip it over the line, but I, I just want to, I guess, say it's a lot closer than, than what any of the shows really have been so far for me. Yeah. So, did you enjoy the two shows? Yeah, it was quite fun to go back to this. Um, it's surprising how much I forgot about this time period as well. Um, well yeah. yeah, one one thing I, I guess I'll say about this time period is I find it hard, even and I know it's a fact, but I find it hard that these two shows happen on the same night. Hard to believe. Like, the the Brett Vince stuff seems like a million years ago, and I know it's because I've not seen this Impact before, but that Impact stuff seems so much more recent than the Raw stuff. So, yeah, but no, I, I enjoyed this. This is probably, I would say, one of the better two-part, or I know they're all two-part episodes, but one of the most enjoyable where both of them were reasonably comparable. I've had good shows, like Fully Loaded 2000 is one of my favourite pay-per-views, and I enjoyed reviewing that, but... The um, Bash at the Beach, I think it was, was absolutely awful, so it was a real come down. But this has been one of the better, you know, show for show shows for me, so not bad at all. Um, so that that'll do it for today. Um, do you want to give a, a little bit of a plug? What's coming up with you guys at the then now whatever podcast? Yeah, we should be in the studio sometime next week as well. Um, awesome. We're going back to. Um, we're doing a pair of shows where we go back to the first pay-per-views that aired when we were sort of getting into it as a fan. Nice. So for Kyle, um, he he sort of started watching around about April 98, so we're looking at Unforgiven Ooh, in Your House 1998, time. which would be interesting. And then, um, yeah, so that's what we're probably going to be recording at some point next week, hopefully, and hopefully you'll see that within a month or so. Definitely, genuinely excited for that. Um, not saying that to big up the show, but because I listen to all the shows, I'm very keen to hear that one. That's going to be an awesome time frame for you guys to pick apart a bit there. So you say you're doing yeah. you're doing one each. Are you doing when you got into it as well? Yeah, uh, that'll be the next episode. Um, don't know when we record that, but um, it was just um, I've had I'd had the notes in the running order for it for ages, but it was WCW Mayhem 1999. Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> that one won't be quite so awesome, but it'll be it'll be great train wreck fodder. It, yes, it's an awesome train wreck. I will say that. Um, I still I'm going to reiterate my Twitter challenge as well. If Kyle ever wants to get on and debate the merits of Triple H, <laughs> I'm very keen to do that. <laughs> Um, I'd love to talk Triple H 2002 with you guys at some point. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I've, I've got an idea for that, actually. So. Oh, awesome. Can't wait. Um, but no, this, is, this has been good. Do you want to um, let them know your, your Twitter addresses and all that kind of stuff again? Yeah, Twitter's the probably best place to find us. We're at TNW Podcast. Um, you'll find all the links to our SoundCloud page as well. TNW podcast on SoundCloud and we're also on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Awesome, awesome. Um, as always, you can find us on Twitter as well. Um, we are on Facebook. We are a community of one. It's just Carl that's signed up on Facebook so far, so please don't leave him lonely. Come and join us. Um, but Twitter's still going good. Um, you can still find us there at Rory's Nitro Pod. 
um, on Twitter. Um, please do sign up and give feedback for the shows. Um, the last show we did got some has had some good listens. It's had over fifty in the in the week or so since it came out. So you know, please let us know what you think about the two man format, and hopefully all echoes removed from this one. So we'll we'll see when it goes up. Um, you can catch us on 4CR um, over there, and you can catch them on Twitter as well. Um, and coming up for this show, we've got um, next up, it's either we're going to look at doing another quick 95 Raw and Nitro in the next episode or two coming into Survivor Series there, but also we're going to do the, I think it's the, it's the 1st January of 99 where Mick Foley wins the title, and I think that goes up against um, Goldberg and Hogan in the Georgia Dome, I want to say. Um a listener request by Richie, who's going to get on and do an interview with me for that show as well. So that should be some good stuff coming up. And then we'll just head back to where we were in 95. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, should be good. Um, I'm away on a, a quick break this week, um, back next week. I'm in the last two weeks of uni. And then in probably about a month's time, I'm back over in England for a few weeks. So... The shows might be a little bit sketchy time-wise, but there'll definitely be some stuff coming out. And I've actually got a, a show lined up with my good friend Mark while we're over there. We're going to be possibly reviewing either some Royal Rumbles or just 90s wrestling in general. So that'll be some fun stuff as well. Oh, amazing. Yeah, so lots of stuff coming out. Um, please check us both out. Check both the shows. Um, and let us know what you think as always. And that'll do us for today. Cheers, guys. Thanks for coming on again as always. Yeah, no problem. A pleasure as always. Cheers, mate. Flip by the pen.
you bumped off from the inside George is hanging Frauds is left in they drawers on the floor complaining Bird ass nigga resemble Keenan Ivory Wayne Stay in your place Dirt one rappers get shadow box for training Y'all still eating bacon with a dark master right now Yo, I done walked on fire, fire. Never got burnt, burnt. Slept on glass, glass. Never got cut, cut. Broke a few nose bones, yo Let off a round or two At certain dudes where they drop they phone Yo, this is straight crack, yeah Even my hand got took in the jail For writing murder My wrist couldn't take it in bail Then left my fingers for dead Told him I ain't had nothing to do with the writing I'll hold you down when you be squeezing that leg Shop and freeze with my mans on the corner Watch these rolling in threes in the purple caprice A gritty bop, my rocks is bigger Wallows with the gold tassel your old slave was stopping up on the shackles And I stay fly underwater, my toes is iced out Poop the nails off, y'all faggots can figure the price out Some change, y'all bitch niggas go get my coke Go get my slippers before I go gun ho Shots, rap belts belong to DC. 